Albuquerque's macro aggression. Eddie Aragon, the rock of talk. Dowd Muska there as well. Dowd, uh, good afternoon. Way to hold down the fort yesterday. Great job. Oh, thank you, uh, sir. And I, I, I know you uh, listened to a little bit of, of it at 35,000 feet. So uh, we covered the globe yesterday, I think. Uh, we were uh, Scotland, uh, 35,000 feet between Texas and New Mexico. Uh, our regular people, what, in Tennessee, Milwaukee, Australia. You know, we, 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 get, we get the word out. Okay, <laughs> I guess that he's well, back. Unfortunately, on. I wasn't able to go ahead and listen to all of it, but I listened to probably about a good ninety percent of it, okay. and you did a great job. So it was good. And so, oh, we got a little bit of a delay going on, so we do, a little we bit do. lag. And uh, here we are. Doubt. Uh, we'll let you take it from here until we get rid of the lag. So uh, Thank you, you did a good job yesterday. So go ahead and uh, take it from here. Geez, like 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 the true uh, New Englander that I am, the Minuteman Johnny on the spot. Uh, well, uh, let's give out the basics. Uh, terrestrial, terrestrially, that's a that's a tough man. I'm getting I'm getting bad at my old age. Uh, uh, if you're listening over the air, folks, you're listening to 1600 AM KIVA in the great city of Albuquerque, once great city of Albuquerque. I think maybe it could be great again, maybe with uh, some substantial changes. And of course, we're heard worldwide. Rock of talk. Dot com And if you want to see the video, my smiling visage, this is the end of the beard, folks. Tomorrow it's coming off. When you meet an astronaut who walked on the moon, you show a little damn respect. See, look, my military man behind the glass there, he knows that. You show a little damn respect. Uh, tomorrow will be the first time in two and a half years that I wear pants. I will have pants on, not shorts. Um, a button-down shirt with long sleeves. And I will wear a very nice sport jacket to show respect for, uh, for Dr. Harrison Schmidt, he's a PhD geologist, and he is one of only four uh, moonwalkers that we have left with us uh, here uh, in, in America. Uh, wow, they're, they're all I might clean up a little bit myself now. You're inspiring <laughs> right. me. Well, I got invited to an event that uh, probably I wouldn't be invited to normally. Let's just put it, put it that way. But I'm grateful because, uh, uh, yes, I'm a critic of government. But let me tell you, when you get on the top of a rocket that's barely been tested, uh, you know, some rockets have flown hundreds of times back in the Apollo days that that setup was extremely complex and they hadn't they hadn't flown it a lot. And I think it has some kind of percentage of the Hiroshima bomb in terms of the ener- the energy generated uh, when they lit that candle. Uh, and you travel all the way to our natural satellite and poke around on the surface for a couple of days and come back. Uh, my ideology, my anti-government ideology goes out the window uh, and your uh, cojones, frijoles, uh, whatever uh, <laughs> stones are so large, uh, you uh, you transcend manhood when you go walk on the moon. And of course, uh, men went to the moon. Men. Uh, we were not into this sort of androgynous nonsense going on. So anyway, that's just my life. That's tomorrow. Uh, I'll be back for the show, of course, uh, after after that luncheon. Uh, go ahead and download the app, the rockoftalk.app. You can connect with us through the TV, Roku, Amazon Fire, Apple TV, and 
just you know personal preference here uh, rockoftalk.chat is the best way to, uh, to to interact with us so we got a lot of discussions a lot more people weighing in we got our back and forth today we were talking about mel gibson and one woman thought that Satan had gotten into his heart uh, because he had done the Passion of the Christ and, and, and this movie that, of course, a lot of Christians thought was fantastic. And uh, I was just saying, you know, he's really had a rough decade and a half. Why were we talking about Mel Gibson? Because we're subsidizing Mel Gibson uh, here in uh, New Mexico. That's uh, what we do with Hollywood. Uh, and I just threw it out there. Not, I don't really have a strong opinion one way or the other, but he's a controversial figure. He said and done some things, let's say, that are a little controversial, and we're subsidizing him. And uh, that's just how we how we play in uh, in, in New Mexico. So uh, there you go. Rock and talk that chat. Less than twenty cents a day. Get your subscription now because I think at the end of the year we're going to have to have to raise that price a little bit. Not not dramatically. Uh, a little 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 tiny bit. Uh, the show today. Eddie's got some great stuff. You know, of course, he's been doggedly pursuing this fatality, this four person fatality of our, our our first responders in the helicopter. Uh, he's sending me information all the time. I can't even keep keep up with him. So I'm not trying to keep up with him. Uh, he has just taken that like a pit bull you know, pills a poodle. Uh, we're going to be talking about that. I got a new piece out today looking at the subsidization of Intel and other semiconductor chip manufacturers. It's something we don't need. It's something that Rand Paul, libertarian Republican, and Bernie Sanders, socialist independent, voted against yesterday, a subsidy bill in Washington. When you get the libertarian and you get the socialist together, <clears throat> that's just an interesting moment in history. So I wanted to talk a little bit uh, about that. And we got lots of little quick hits. Uh, Melanie Stansbury thinks that... Uh, Interracial marriage is going to be banned by a renegade Supreme Court. Lonely Girl has some issues, uh, more than a few issues. Uh, that's uh, just a look at what's coming uh, later in the show today. We're going to step away for some important messages, but come straight back here on The Rock of Talk. Actually, we got a couple more minutes, Dowd. Oh, we do. I'm sorry. I thought I heard some music. <laughs> for, for technical issues. Other, other things. Uh, Albuquerque tattoo parlors being hit by uh, criminals. As if uh, we didn't have enough problems in Albuquerque. We've got the big crime, we've got the little crime. Um, and the music tells me we are going to a break. So uh, stick with us, folks. We will be back here and in proper order momentarily.
continue to cover what had happened, the tragic incident that happened on Saturday night. And they've given them a complete timeline. And I'm not going to go into that or indulge in any of that. But, you know, uh, I got a, an email from a listener, um, a, a sort of a, a guy who was not very happy that I wanted to go ahead and, you know, make my own ideas and, and predictions and come to my own conclusions about everything. And, you know, generally speaking, I don't talk out of my you-know-what. Uh, I go out and I find the information. And so I, I spent a, an inordinate amount of time, by that I mean more than an hour, focused on, you know, obviously what has happened. Because TSA, as it goes, or, or I guess, uh, what, what is the organization that studies uh, uh, and figures out NTSB, uh, National Transportation, and I don't know, SB, whatever that's for, uh, will go and go and do the investigation on this. And sometimes this takes months mm -hmm. at the very best, uh, at the at the worst years. Uh, in the case of the TWA 800, I think that probably took, what, 17, 18 years. Indeed. Some of these cases yeah, are never uh, found out. And there's not a whole lot of closure. Um, it's the federal government that's involved, uh, coupled with large behemoth uh, oligopolistic uh, airlines. And, you know, I'm really aggregating this information and doubt it was making me sick to my stomach because you know, here are four officers, reputable officers, and like, you try to figure out, you know, as you do anything, like, what the hell were these guys doing, dropping buckets of water, doing sorties, which is what they're called, uh, running these sorties. Uh, from place to place so that they could aid and assist a, um, a fire which had no endangerment whatsoever to a population, none whatsoever. There was, there, there was it posed no danger to any homes, to any houses, to anything. And so I went back and looked at this, and I shared this information with Dowd, and he probably has it at the ready now because, you know, you can look some of this stuff up, and the other stuff is you got to know where to find the tools. And I being the sort of investigative guy that I am, and I have to know, went to use Flight Radar 24. Now, Flight Radar 24 has a complete and total tracking of this particular vehicle, the helicopter that crashed that went down. At approximately, it says the last call-in was 636, and then there wasn't another radio call until more than an hour later. Well, as the crow flies, it takes, at, at worst, about 40 minutes from the point where it landed or where it crashed from Double Eagle Airport, where said aircraft left off. And it radioed out more than an hour between its radio calls. So there was no. The timeline is already thrown off there um, because they would have had to radio ahead of time. And unfortunately, the officer that did uh, make the call out was not named to come to his uh, injuries in a little bit more than an hour. And the first responders who actually showed up from what we can tell about uh, 25 minutes after uh, it, the, the discovery and, and the call-in uh, said, you know, no joy, called no joy and essentially stated, hey, you don't need to come out here. Everybody here is deceased. Here's the issue. Here's the uh, fly in the ointment, uh, as it were. And I made these claims, and I told that guy that emailed me in the middle, you know, I don't know, 7, 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night, and let him know. I'm like, uh, sorry, man. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry if you don't think that we should be covering this, but 
other news media organizations aren't going to cover this. They're going to cover the funeral, what they meant to the community, and then they're going to sort of cover it all up like this isn't anybody's fault. This is directly the fault of Michelle Lujan Grisham and directly the fault of your government agencies, which have been run by the Democrats in this state. Here's why. That vehicle that they were flying in was 52 years old, made in 1970. To the best of my knowledge, and anywhere I can find it, these vehicles have been inoperable as of 2006. Parts, mechanics, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't know how you guys feel about flying, but if you don't have a mechanic who knows how to fly or, you know, or operate on your thing, how are you going to go ahead and, and deal with this? And then 52 years old, plus it had been itself inoperable since December 6th, all the way until June the 18th of this year. No flight. Nothing. And you can track every flight from June 18th until July 10th, in which it made its first non-test flight. All it did was doing testing over at Double Eagle Airport. If you go and you look at June 18th, June 19th, June 21st, and you look at all the various uh, flights that this vehicle took, it never took a flight for more than an hour. It was flying well beyond that scope on July the 16th when it crashed. On July the 10th was its actual first operable, operational, I should say, uh, flight in which it went to the other side of the mountain. This vehicle could not perform the task which it had been asked by whom and for what reason, I don't know, but it could not achieve, uh, ostensibly perform the tasks that it was being asked to do by the four officers who were involved. And I don't think that it is up to them to make that determination. In fact, I doubt anybody within the Bernalillo County Sheriff's Office agency had the ability to become a mechanic, to take care of it. This thing should have been aged out. Now, for comparison, if you look at the oldest commercial airlines in flight right now, it's Delta Airlines. And they just made a big, gigantic order. You can look at the article in Wall Street Journal for, I don't know how many uh, airplanes, I think 30 new airplanes. It's got a fleet that's the most aged. What's the average age of those fleets that are going to be replaced? About 30 to 31 years of age. Folks, that's less than, that's more than 20 years younger than this Huey H1, of which is totally inoperable. And I, I'll go back, and ironically, this is coming out yet again. This exact helicopter, exact helicopter crashed in northern New Mexico three years before in 2018. The exact model, the exact Huey itself crashed in 2018 up in northern New Mexico. It shouldn't be lost on any of us that these vehicles, if they're performing this type of work, and I don't know what the hell Berlio County Sheriff's Office is doing anything about dropping buckets in San Miguel, in Las Vegas, New Mexico, or any other place, but it had no, absolutely zero business doing that, specifically on a Saturday afternoon in which it endangered nobody. And there's going to be no discussion about this. Other than me bringing this up here today, I doubt anyone's going to go and look into this because everyone's going to be lamenting the loss of the officers, as they should, but you need to hold somebody accountable. Somebody, the buck needs to stop with somebody because no one spent the money 
you can't even find out where to buy these because they don't exist. The only place that they exist are in museums and various other uh, aircraft uh, archival museums throughout the country. That's the only place you can find them. Let, let me let me do a, a comparison and contrast. The exact model of this vehicle was the same one used in Apocalypse Now for the great uh, scene that you saw, of course, as they're flying over uh, Vietnam. This, in my opinion, was completely and totally pre preventable. It's up to me to go ahead and back up this information. Uh, Dowd, I have every single one of these flights. I sent them to you, and I said, yep, this is just us. This is just New Mexico being cheap, going cheap. How can you, after we have the greatest loss of life in the history of the state of New Mexico for the police officers, our boys in blue, our, our knights in black, the guys that are on the front line, how can you not make this something that we should be paying attention to and someone to answer for it? If I was running for governor of the state of New Mexico, I would not stop until I got answers for why those four officers were flying in a vehicle that's 52 years old. I talked about defund the police. I know you Democrats hate that because you guys are responsible for the four deaths because every single time you've wanted to defund the police or not give them the equipment that they need, it results in issues like just like this. Dowd, I sent you the video. Um, certainly your jaw must have dropped when you saw um, the, 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 the last uh, flights of this uh, particular uh, uh, helicopter. Yeah, I mean, Eddie, I, I didn't, I, I haven't really followed up because you were, one of the things I've learned at my accelerated age is that when someone's on a roll, don't stand in their way and don't try to help. Uh, Mr. Aragon was on fire the other night. Just I was getting texts all night long as he was digging up all these facts. And I think Eddie raised some very interesting questions. And I think the well, one or two, I guess maybe the one that stood out the most to me was how infrequently the aircraft seemed to be used. If you can, if those flight logs are accurate, this was not an aircraft they are. In, yeah. in common use. And then number two, and it didn't occur to me until, I don't know, a day or two later, it went up to fight a fire that was in no way, you know, even remotely akin to the horrific fires we had in April and May. Uh, you know, you had this existential crisis in, in New Mexico's forests. And if that was to be used as a firefighting helicopter, why wasn't it used then? Why was it picked to fight this relatively negligible fire? And yes, fires can grow into bigger, but you can't compare what was going on that day as to what was going on in April and May when it was just catastrophic, hundreds of homes, people, you know, loss of life even. So uh, those really stand out to me. And uh, I'm willing to accept a reasonable explanation, but if they're not willing to come forward with a reasonable explanation, maybe there isn't a reasonable explanation. Uh, and, uh, I, you know, if I were a person in running the county, prominent in the county, prominent in the state, I would be super hot on this. And are we seeing that fire, well, poor use of word, but that, that energy uh, and that uh, uh, anger uh, and that willingness uh, to really highlight this issue and get to, down to the brass tacks of what actually happens? Eddie, I'm not really seeing that from a lot of elected officials. Not one, not a single one, including Manny Gonzalez himself, including Burlington County Sheriff's Office. Uh, it seems to me that they were running some sort of operation on behalf of the governor. That's the only people who could have been called to this, because if anybody should have been called, it should be the state of New Mexico police. Now, I'm going to make this political because somebody decided to make it political for me. And um, we're going to get into the age of aircraft. We're also going to talk about uh, various other components of this, which I think are very important. Uh, this is an email that came in at 11.21 p.m. a couple of nights ago after 
you know, I went off on this and it says, Mr. Musk, I do not often listen to the Rock of Talk since I do not agree with most, really all of the positions you and Mr. Aragon take on the issues of the day, which is fine. You all, all have the platform again to do and say what you want and do what you want with it. However, I did tune in today's broadcast, just as you were mentioning the deaths of four of officers in the helicopter crash this past weekend. I cannot recall your exact words, but after you acknowledged the tragedy, you said something to the effect that you would not dwell on the story because you don't want to take advantage of anyone's loss or death or something to that effect. In that moment, I thought that was a very humane and welcome position for someone in quote-unquote talk radio, as they put it. And to be clear, I had no expectation you would respond in any other manner. And sadly, Mr. Aragon did not have the same humane approach that chose to make political hay of the situation. This is not political hay. These are deaths of your officers, folks. Someone needs to look at this. The convoluted and speculative line of reasoning, I went and backed up my work used to link the tragedy of so-called liberal policies in our governor was, in my opinion, ridiculous and ultimately not surprising. I will question it every chance I can. Mr. Aragon has well-practiced the particular talk radio trope, but it would be to his advantage to ignore the base instinct in this particular situation. No, it wouldn't. It'd be to your advantage and to the governor's advantage for me to ignore it. And the Republican Party and anybody else who wants to protect the powers that be. Also, you were drawn into this exploitative and disrespectful to the victim and family. I'm the only one defending the victims and the families. If I was an attorney, I'd be having my ass out there suing the state of New Mexico for as much money as I can get on behalf of those families that will not have a main provider. That's what needs to happen. We're going to continue to talk about this after the break. Because this is something, in my opinion, that needs to be addressed. And we need to start looking at uh, this information. New Mexico, believe it or not, folks. There you go. 52 years of age was the vehicle 
We have the complete rundown on 70-16431, a.k.a. the Iroquois, Iroquois Huey, and it's 8UH1 is known as the Huey. Uh, here's the line directly from um, the piece. UH1 was retired from all active Army service in early 2005. I believe that's 17 years ago, folks. What is the United? What is New Mexico doing? What the Army thinks it no longer needs to do? During 2009, the Army National Guard retirements of the UH-1 accelerated with the introduction of the Eurocopter UH-72 Lakota. The final UH-1 was retired from all military in 2016. Well, back in the day. I told you, January 17th, to be exact, 2018, an Iroquois UH-1H, exactly the same model, exactly the same make, also crashed near Raton, New Mexico. Five of the six people on board were killed. The sole survivor was in serious condition, according to the uh, information. This one was built in 1967. It was almost exactly, to the day, the exact the exact same age, 51 years of age when this one crashed. Saw action during the Vietnam War as well when it crashed on 31st May 1969. It was returned to the United States and repaired and used by the Ohio National Guard before being sold to, well, there you go. The helicopter crashed and caught fire east of Raton. The pilot, pilot rated passenger, three of the four passengers on board were killed, including Zimbabwe politician Roy Bennett, British world record holder Charles Burnett III, who had set the record for a steam-powered car in 2009. The sole survivor, Andrea Cobb, was the daughter of the pilot-rated passenger Paul Cobb and the long-term romantic partner of Charles Burnett. Cobb was seriously injured, but was able to raise the alarm by cell phone, although she was unable to give the location of the crash. It was located by the New Mexico State Police on a ranch 15 miles east of Raton. The aircraft was flying from Raton to Folsom, New Mexico, and it crashed at 6 p.m. local time. The journal reported that the pilot said that there had been mechanical problems with a helicopter the day before the accident. It was said these had been fixed before that fatal flight. So thank you, are. Oh, here we go. I can't wait to read that. That's that's, that's going to be another good one. More more stuff coming into the queue. According to the uh, U.S. National Transportation Safety Board, the open investigation they reported pilot error, not the age of the vehicle. Okay. They also tried to insinuate that the kid or the person who was flying this was on fentanyl in his blood. So there you go. So, uh, no, Jay Block, you're wrong. The Air Force does not fly the UH-1N. Uh, so there's Jay Block running interference, I guess, on behalf of the governor. Uh, how interesting uh, that, that must be, uh, Jay Block. So I guess we shouldn't call into question, Dowd, whether or not the age of this vehicle contributed to it. Um, maybe we should probably go, uh, if we can, and go directly to, he says, the 40th uh, Squadron. We'll uh, go ahead and, and find out where that's at. So that's good. Oh, I love this. This is what, I, this is what talk radio is for. <laughs> Eddie, I'm, go, I'm going to be 64 years old next week. Eddie, you are 46. You have never heard of the NTSB. Who do you think has been investigating air crashes for decades? Did I say I didn't know who the NTSB was? I just said I didn't know what it stood for, you idiot. Here we go. Let's continue with this. I love. Well, Eddie, if I can weigh in on the on the, on the, yeah. on the go ahead, yeah, on the email from our uh, our friend there up in unincorporated Santa Fe County, you know, 
it, it, it was, of course, the left can never concede a point. Uh, I, I was shocked, Mr. Muska, that you were doing something humane, even though you're involved in talk radio. The implication being, you know, talk radio is the lowest form of, uh, of slime uh, on earth. And I think he might have misunderstood that, that what, I was, what I was really driving at was that I, I don't like the way that, I mean, we, we know the media will exploit this, but I don't like the way in recent decades you've seen politicians exploit uh, these kinds of tragedies. And I wasn't going to mention the names of the men and I wasn't going to try to get into that and try to shoehorn my way into this the way really, and this is, you know, Republicans and Democrats. And I hate to say this, Reagan fans, I, I came of age in the Reagan era and he's responsible for a lot of me. That notion that the president has become this mourner in chief and every time there's a national tragedy, he has to show up with the families and everything. I mean, that just that that's a fairly recent development in American history. So I, 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 I despise politicians and I knew I knew politicians in New Mexico were going to make hay from this political hay. And I didn't want to I didn't want to indulge uh, in, in that at all. I was not saying not, not, not that you can't ask questions about what happened uh, and that, uh, you know, we have to just wait patiently with no no speculation, no thoughts at all uh, about what the NTSB will finally conclude. So um, uh, I think our, our, our emailer, um, uh, we see the world very, very differently. Uh, I was trying to be respectful, but I was certainly not trying to shut down debate or discussion about this particular event. If anything, there could be debate upon. It could be an actual event that happened, not a political position. Hmm. We know that those, I mean, are you calling into question the capability of those four officers that were on there that had already run 20 sorties? No, you have to call in the mechanics and the amount of money not given to the Berlin County Sheriff's Office to go ahead and run this operation. How is it being paid for? Someone else is texting in right now. What land specifically was it brought in to put the fire out? I mean, that's a great question. Was this at the pleasure or the service of someone who uh, maybe had a, a little bit more, quote-unquote, um, connection mm -hmm. to the governor? Mm -hmm. Like, this needs to be brought in. Let me give you the flight logs. Here's the flight logs for this vehicle that crashed, the helicopter. Okay. Before you decide to start attacking me, you better be prepared, knowing that I'm prepared. Okay. I know this information. When I took the shot, I knew what was already there. We knew that these people continue to save money. They step over dollars to save a penny or two. And now this is going to cost the state of New Mexico millions upon millions of dollars, and it better. Those those families better be made whole. If you can make some criminal element. Uh, hole because so and so burned down in that house, or some drug dealer. If you can go ahead and pay twenty five thousand dollars to repair their house, you could sure as hell pay for these officers and making sure that they have something and their children have something for the rest of their lives and their families have something. Because I guarantee this is a political thing that could have been prevented. Someone shaved money somewhere and didn't replace that. That 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 helicopter had zero business doubt. Mm -hmm. Zero business doing that type of work at that time at that particular place. And the other way, the reason why you know that is they called for help. They radioed for help originally, and they said, no, 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 we're not going to go out there right now. The, the weather is a little treacherous, and I forget who they referred to. Here's the flight log. December 2nd, 2021. December 3rd, 2021. December 6th, 2021. All short flights. June 18th. June 18th, that flew two test flights. June 22nd, June 22nd, June 22nd, June 22nd, all little test flights flying, I don't know, no more than a few miles. June 23rd, June 23rd, June 23rd, June 24th, June 27th, twice, once on June 29th, once on July the 2nd, and then not again until July the 10th, in which it flew two flights, and then, of course, July the 16th, where it flew 
uh, July 15th and 16th, where it flew three times. It was not prepared. It was not practiced. This was not meant to perform these types of actions on behalf of the state of New Mexico. So I think a lot needs a lot more needs to be looked into all of this uh, doubt. And I went and I looked at all the information on this, including you know the previous. And it's not lost on me. Um, Jay really wants to weigh in on this. Let's read uh, former Governor. Uh, could you call him a contender? Uh, Jay Block. Here it is. The Air Force still flies the UNH-1. I flew it on as well as the Air Force 40th Rescue Squadron. Okay, when? <laughs> Back in 2005, they fly missiles to alert. The 40HS currently employs UHN-1 Iroquois helicopter known as the Huey, a name that stems from, it depends upon which one. I actually found the one that is no longer in service, and I just read it to you. I literally just tell you, the aircraft can carry up to 13 passengers at a gross weight of 10,500. Yes, we still fly them. Let's take a look real quick. He's sending me something from Maelstrom, 40th Helicopter Squadron, um, 1973, 64, Strategic Air Base. Blah, blah. I'd have to really kind of get into this one and see. I mean, that stems from its original designation of utility. The aircraft can carry up to 13 passengers, blah, blah, blah. Today, the unit has saved more than 425 lives. Uh, the men and women of the 40th helicopter and continue. So I don't know what date this is or where it's rated or this is something that is downloaded, but I'm literally telling you uh, from all this, you need to understand that this was retired from the Army and it was retired and put out of all service back in 2016, according to the write-ups that I had seen. Take a quick break. Back after three minutes, and then we'll talk a little bit more about that. Get your reaction as well. I think it's going to be Back in the seventies, that, that's how it worked, right? I mean, you know, cross promotion. They were doing synergy back in the seventies, right? <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot. All right, let's get to your text, uh, boy. You should you should understand that I I um you know vigorously will defend my positions. I said 
uh, to the guy who says, I'm going to be 64 years of old next week. You're 46. You have never heard of NTSB. Uh, NTSB, who do you think has been investigating air crashes for decades now? Yeah, I'm not stupid. He said, I said, F off. You misunderstood. He says, thanks for setting me straight. You didn't have to tell me to F off. Well, you didn't have to text in <laughs> and then misunderstood. Uh, that's the way it goes. Okay, so uh, Jay Block is still on it. Jay Block's looking for attention. He must be back in town from uh, fresh, fresh off the boat from New Hampshire, back in New England. You're heading back the other way, uh, as you know, Dad, uh, hmm. probably sometime soon. It's a dual mission for missile field, he says, for operations and rec- rescue. All I'm saying is the info you have is wrong. Not a dig on you. Relax. I didn't say it was a dig on me. Why do you not trust my information? Why did you, I, I mean, well, I've been so right on so many things. The, if the age of this vehicle doesn't play into why this vehicle went down after having an extended layoff, that's an extended layoff. I don't know, seven months, is that an extended layoff? Is it possible you didn't have all the info? Why would you defend the government agency? Why would you, Jay Block, not decide to go ahead and attack Michelle Lujan Grisham and her administration for failure to go ahead and, you know, bring in the right amount of funds. I mean, after all, we had a $20, $27 billion windfall. How about whether or not, I and mean, who commands the state police? That would be Michelle Lujan Grisham, who's the only person who can call in any other agency to do something on a statewide basis. That would be Michelle Lujan Grisham. I don't think I'm out of turn in suggesting such a thing down. No, I and, think and, it's and the I'll, right thing to and, suggest. Well, and, and, and at this point, I mean, no one's making any sweeping conclusions. I mean, it, there's nothing wrong with asking questions. And I don't think that's exploiting the victims. Uh, you know, government government has a lot of problems. Government's not very efficient. Government makes a lot of mistakes. We pay the bills. And, uh, you know, we know for a fact, Eddie, we're not going to get any curiosity out of most of the media, probably all of the media outlets in New Mexico on this issue. Uh, they bend the knee to the powers that be. That's the way it works. Uh, assuming they ever did their job, they certainly don't, don't, uh, don't do it now. So, uh uh, I have yet, Eddie, to hear on our show the names of any of these victims. We're not exploiting them. We're not put, bringing cameras to the funeral. And, you know, we're not going to try to use them in a campaign commercial like I'm sure some politicians might. Uh, so uh, I think uh, there's nothing wrong with us continuing to ask questions. Well, and I think uh, ultimately the families want to get to the bottom of this as of well and as quickly as possible. I mean, uh, losing the, uh, the can we say breadwinner or am I insulting every woman out there? Uh, um, you know, a woman has never walked on the moon. We used to say breadwinner. We used to be normally talking about the, the man of the house. I think man of the house is also uh, so normative that feminists had outlawed this. We're just trying to find, ladies and gentlemen, uh, some, even if you might think of it as speculation, some reason or rhyme as to why this happened when you have a loss of life, you know, that great. And believe it or not, I actually wanted to come on air yesterday uh doubt uh, to talk about that well, Eddie, the, 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 you know the, what I, the example i use all the time is who was fired over the no weapons of mass destruction in iraq who was fired over the challenger who was fired over the mm-hmm. columbia right who was fired over 9-11 i mean there's zero accountability in government and i think one of the problems with this society we have now this therapeutic uh snowflake society is Something bad happens and everyone acknowledges it's bad. You're a ghoul if you take any joy in, in people dying, particularly first responder people like that. But uh, anyone who might want to find get to the bottom of something, ask a tough question, ask a question that, that uh, might you know, raise some hackles uh, and impose some accountability and some transparency uh, on, our, on our public servant masters, uh, we're the bad guys. Uh, I, don't, I don't see myself that way. Sorry. 
when someone's out shot on the street or in your neighborhood or whatever, the first thing you're looking for is why did that happen? How did it, how did we get to this point that sure. that particular you know crime happened and you don't want it to happen again? Why is it such a bad thing to ask when it happens to officers, you know, in the line of duty? It mm-hmm. seems like it is. It seems like we're asking the wrong thing because, you know, we're um, somehow making it political. I don't know how it can't be political mm-hmm. when these particular officers, you know, after working that hard throughout the week and then also going there on Saturday to do this, you know, why were they called to that particular place? But the news isn't going to ask this. They're going to continue to go ahead and just outline and you know, wallow in the mire of sadness and contemplate the last few hours of these officers, as we all should to the degree that we can. Um, But nobody's going to, ultimately, that doesn't solve anything for the families. The families aren't going to get anything out of continuing to go and just beat a dead horse. They want answers. And more importantly, they deserve answers. Like I said, in every single, you know, I, 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 I flew today on the plane when I came here to Phoenix today. And, and, you know, if that plane goes down, the first thing that everyone's going to want to know is why did it go down? Because it's going to directly impact the bottom lines of Southwest Airlines, or it's going to directly impact, you know, people's confidence in deciding to go ahead and, um, you know, fly. Uh, it'll, it'll impact the entire airline industry feeling like it's not safe. It'll be on the front page and people will want to get answers. But in this particular case, in a controlled media environment where an accident occurs like this, you can't ask questions and call to the carpet the actual leadership. Uh, you, you know, who would you call in into question? Yeah, you couldn't call yeah. into question Manny Gonzalez. He doesn't know anything about anything anyway, <laughs> much less uh, how, how a helicopter He'll ask you to repeat the question if you ask him anything about what happened to the helicopter. Maybe that's out of, out of bounds. But, you know, if the media uh, powers that be in this state who have more resources than the Kiva does, you know, if you could devote maybe 10 or 20 percent of the attention you're going to give to the funerals, to the memorials, uh, you know, the therapeutic culture, the media, the politicians get together. I call it I call it bereavement porn in our country. Anytime something really bad happens. And this obviously was very bad. Uh, and uh, it's just this kind of wallowing in bereavement. And, you know, maybe we could devote a little resources to some real investigative reporting, getting down to the bottom of this. That I think that would honor the victims of this tragedy and help their families. I think most importantly, these families need to be made whole financially. Um, they all will never be made whole, in my opinion, because ultimately they made the greatest sacrifice, which is their loved ones. And they leave behind families and, and various other people in, in, in a time where they probably, you know, aren't feeling very confident about going to work because most of these Democrat politicians in the state, as you know, don't have their back. And I think ultimately uh, it's real easy to sort of do it in a very secretive way uh, when you don't fund a uh, sheriff's department or an Albuquerque police department to the uh, degree that it needs to be funded. And I think this is just going cheap. And ultimately, when you go cheap, accidents happen and uh, it all could have been prevented. In the case of um, the Challenger, you brought that up, Morton Diacol. They were fired. They were trying to make ends meet, the O-ring. They didn't listen to you know, that whole entire thing. And heads rolled, but the wrong heads rolled. Well, and, they uh, had the engineer, our... the Thiokol engineer, watching it lift off that morning. And he said, oh, thank God we dodged a bullet. But, of course, a few n- number of seconds later, he found out we didn't dodge a bullet that day. But, uh, yeah, l- accountability, uh, don't look for it in the public sector, folks. It's pretty rare. Yeah. When it comes to the space shuttle Columbia, they fired the private sector engineer who warned them not to launch that day due to the ring, unable to withstand <laughs> the unusually cold weather. He was a whistleblower who got fired 
uh, this is from a texter. The government likes to shoot the messenger, not the yeah. responsible. Uh, Eddie, thank you for bringing us what you find. I knew something was not right when I heard the quote-unquote timeline. Yeah, that 44-minute timeline, the amount of time that it takes to fly from Double Eagle to Las Vegas, you know, there's a missing 20 to 25 minutes there mm-hmm. um, with with no radio back uh, going. So I did some research and it validated all my thoughts as well. And here you are revealing even more today. Oh, my God, this infuriates me. Not just the loss of life, but their expertise and experience that they can't pass on to the new ones coming in. Keep doing what you do. Thank you. And, you know, I think you know when we say the purpose of talk radio now, that's exactly what we mean, yep. is to afflict the comfortable. And the comfortable in this state are Michelle Lujan Grisham, Maggie Toulouse, Oliver, and the rest of the Democrats that are up in, in Santa Fe, New Mexico, have Lonely Girl, you know, the third congressional district representative uh, as well. You know, well, this is something that we have to do. And there's no power in the Republican Party. There's no power really in the candidacies right now. Uh, I think, you know, we're seeing that as the media continues to pick apart um, Mark Ronchetti and, and exploit. And that's what they do. What this guy who, who, who emailed us very late in the evening, he was trying to exploit some level of vulnerability and, and try to split doubt and I up. Well, doubt and I aren't uh, in some level of codependent uh, relationship that is, you know, teetering on this weak uh, connection. Uh, we argue on the facts. We enjoy each other's company from the standpoint that we get to talk about important issues. And we'll leave that right there. Um, hour two, just for you. Greg Zanetti is going to be here in studio. And we'll talk with him. When Thanks everybody for listening in. Well, it's the top of the hour news. Hour two just for you. Thank you. And keep Eddie Aragon, the Rock of Talk. 505 in the 505. All right, glad to be here with you. Looks like I'm still on delay, so I'll pop back in on the phone. I'll bring us in. We'll let Dow take it from here. It, it is indeed 505, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, in the 505. I, I got to say that for the first time about uh, yesterday. <clears throat> Mr. Aragon? All right. We'll, we'll wait. We'll wait on Eddie, and I'll uh, let you know that you are listening, if you are listening live over the airways. 1600 AM, Albuquerque, New Mexico. The Kiva, K-I-V-A, <laughs> hell, uh, heard worldwide at rockoftalk.com. Also, you can watch us on television, ladies and gentlemen. You might even see ePro pop over, over there from time to time. You know, He doesn't want to be on camera. He's a humble Marine over there. Uh, my mother, of course, watches this on uh, rockoftalk.tv uh, on, uh, on the video feed there. Download the app. Uh, you got us on all the other uh, all the other TV options, Roku, Fire TV, Apple TV, rockoftalk.chat, rockoftalk.chat, rockoftalk.chat. ePro, a brand new paying customer. Uh, and uh, I, moved, I put up a, a piece today. Uh, talking, we heard it during the news break. Uh, the president uh, possibly uh, going against his Mr. Union, you know, do whatever the union says. Uh, inclination, uh, lifting some of those ridiculous tariffs that never should have been passed during the Trump administration. Uh, I got a piece on the subsidy that may be coming down the line for Intel and all the other semiconductor uh, corporations. Uh, Ron, Rand Paul, the son of Ron Paul, Rand Paul yesterday and Bernie Sanders, the libertarian and the socialist, agreed on opposing 
a $76 billion giveaway to the semiconductor industry in this country. It is a rare moment of agreement between the libertarian and the socialist. We'll probably get into that in the third hour, but Eddie is back with us, I believe, and here he is, Edward Aragon. All right, there we go. I apologize. We're just testing some stuff out, and uh, there you go. So uh, everyone's saying hi to Greg Zanetti. Uh, Greg, what have you been up to? It's good to hear you back. We hear your ads all the time, but uh, we're glad to hear you live in the Kiva. Uh, General Zanetti uh, in the Kiva, Brigadier General Greg Zanetti, thank you for being here. It is great to be back, and uh, I'm glad the campaign is over. Sure learned a lot. And uh, anyway, I'm just back to managing money, and it's nice to have a career to fall back on. I'll say that. Well, you've got quite the career, and uh, I think very distinguished uh, from an educational, from an operational, from an academic, uh, from an institutional in terms of your service. And then, of course, uh, your private sector, the uh, financial acumen that you have uh, put on display on behalf of your clients has always uh um, been uh, praised and adored by the people who listen into the Kiva, but we've got something uh, a little bit pressing uh, to talk about. And, you know, my dad, you know, he talks to you obviously quite a bit, and as anybody right. does who has money invested with you. And the gold, uh, obviously, is someplace that people have a tendency to run to uh, right. during this time. But we've got some anomalies that are taking place, and we hear the commercials, you know, Sebastian Gorka, or we hear whatever is, you know, whatever's coming out of uh, there. I do that a lot because, well, of course, my son is that name, so I'm constantly doing He tells me to stop begging him on. But um, you hear the gold ads all the time. Right. To the point where you're like, is everyone selling gold? I mean, like, where do I buy gold? And then you got the bouillon stuff, and, right. you know, we, we've got the switcheroo coming with the currency. So, you know, we're in uh, financially desperate times, but uh, they're sort of uh, trying to stave off the inevitable any way they can. But uh, most people are saying it's already here, including the responsible politicians who uh, acknowledged knowingly that we are in the midst of a recession. And uh, instead of a flight to gold, instead of a flight to, you know, uh, commodities, uh, people uh, might be wanting to listen to this segment with uh, Greg Zanetti. So, Greg, you wanted to talk about gold today. What's on your mind? Well, I want to use gold as the, I don't know, the mechanism to talk about what the bigger picture is, because gold is sending us a signal. And I think it's telling us that here in what are usually the quiet months of trading, where the big traders leave. I mean, they go off on their vacations, they leave the trading desk to the second string, and their instructions are always the same. Look, do no harm. Don't mess it up. I'll be back in late August, early September. But what we're seeing behind the scenes this year is much different. And gold, and I don't want to talk about gold itself, but gold is the signal that something's up. So let's start with the, uh, the explanation from the mainstream media on why gold is going down when you think it ought to be going up. Uh, you've got a war in Ukraine that's escalating, expanding, and getting more intense. You've got the Chinese calling us out on Taiwan, and Chinese, China's having financial issues. Uh, you've got, of course, weak, ineffective leadership, Biden making a trip to the Middle East, and Eddie was a disaster. I'll just say that. You would think that gold would be rising, but it's going the other way. And what's happening is the dollar is strengthening. And people say, how can this be? We're printing all these trillions of dollars. What's happening here? Okay, I want you to think about the currency markets around the world with a core and then kind of concentric circles going out to the periphery. 
well, the weak currencies on the periphery, uh, think the Thai bot, the Sri Lankan currency, which has basically collapsed, uh, the peso, you know, Venezuela, the Bolivar, you know, this kind of thing. Eddie, they've, those currencies have been unraveling now for quite a while now. As those currencies unravel, capital and money move toward the core. And the core would have been uh, the euro, the yen, the yuan, the dollar. Well, what's happening now? The euro's falling apart. I mean, you've got the Russians cutting off energy and natural gas and the European Union totally in debt, now not being able to get energy. What does that do to their banks? What does that do to their loans? They're in trouble. Japan, we joke about, you know, is a bug in search of a windshield. They have twice as much debt, you know, for the size of their economy than we do. And now you've got the Chinese. They've got runs on their banks, Eddie. Uh, they're having issues now where people are refusing to pay their mortgages. And even down the supply chain in the real estate world, suppliers are saying, look, we, we can't pay. And now the banking structure in China is at risk. So money has come to the dollar. And people think that's safe. Well, okay, let's just pause there for a minute. There's something at Wall Street called the pair trade, like a pair of shoes, too. If the dollar goes up, gold goes down. And the thinking is, well, at least you can make a little bit of interest in the dollar. The dollar is pretty solid. Why would you be in gold if you could be in dollars and earn some interest? Now, the, the reverse is also true. If the dollar is heading down, gold goes up. So this is the mainstream media's argument. All right, the dollar may not be perfect, but it's the strongest currency out there. Money flowing to the dollar, dollar up, gold down. All right, I get it, except gold is telling you a different story. All right, so does that make sense so far? Because I'm talking too much. Yeah, yeah, it does. I, um, no, 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 it, it does. I think we're just, I think one clarification should be made uh, to our listeners. When we talk about the strength, it doesn't mean that the dollar is necessarily stronger than it was a year or two, five years ago. Correct. Uh, I think it, the, the strength of the dollar is in strength relative to other currencies that are out there. As the weakness of the European Union, as you mentioned, with the Boulevard, and you're going in and talking about, the, I think, uh, the uh, Sri Lankan, right. uh, you know, which is unable to fund its debt. We have certainly talked about how Russia has decided to purposely default despite being as, as strong as they are. So the dollar has become relatively stronger than everything else, but it isn't necessarily stronger than it was, say, three, five years ago. So it doesn't feel stronger to us, right. but it is stronger, uh, relatively speaking. Great explanation. Think of it as a bunch of uh, parachuters you know, jumping out of an airplane. They're falling at different rates of speed. Everybody's still falling, but the dollar's falling slower than the others. All right, so now this was kind of the main point I wanted to get to today. And because, Eddie, I, this thing's kind of roiled me over the last couple of months. Why is the commodity space, why are precious metals, why are all these things collapsing, you know, down 10, 15, 20% in a matter of weeks? Bam, bam, bam. It's too much too fast. What, what's going on here? And it was an article that came out 10 days ago. It was on July 9th by a guy named Peter Hambro. And I'm going to quote from this article because I think it's, it'll give some clarity to your listeners what's going on out there. And here's, here's the headline. Peter Hambro, BIS central banks are rigging gold market using bullion banks paper gold. All right, let, let's just stop at the headline. Who's Peter Hambro? 
Uh, Peter Hambro is part of Hambro Bank out of London. This is an old bank, goes back a couple of hundred years. The great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather started this thing. The grandfather was General Percival Hambro. His father was one of the bullion bank uh, directors. And Peter Hambro has been involved in the gold business, gold banking for decades. And he's an insider of insiders. He hardly ever writes stuff. And here he is putting out this article. And so then go next part. BIS. What is the BIS? It's the Bank for International Settlements. All right. Who's that? All right. You need to understand some banking structure here. Here in the United States, the Federal Reserve is the boss of Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Citi, those huge banks. Above them is the Federal Reserve. And you and I have talked about this. The Federal, right, right. The Federal Reserve isn't, it's not federal. It's as federal as Federal Express. It's a private bank with shareholders and a board of directors. Right. All right. Underneath right. them, those big Wall Street banks. Underneath them, the regional banks like WashFed, Bank mm-hmm. of Oklahoma. And right. then you've got the, right. that's our pyramid. All right, so that pyramid exists in Europe, too. The European Central Bank at the top. Then you've got Deutsche Bank, BNP Paribas, the big Italian banks. Anyway, their pyramid looks the same. Go to Japan, Bank of Japan. All right, private bank at the top. Then you've got the Bank of Tokyo, so on, on down the line. Bank of China, Bank of Switzerland, Bank of England, same structure. Those are your mother ships. Eddie, who's above them? Who's the central bank of those central banks? That's the BIS, the Bank for International Settlements in Davos, Switzerland. They're the boss of bosses. So Hambro's calling them out and the central banks like the Federal Reserve. And he's saying, look, these guys are rigging the gold market using bullion banks. We'll get to them in just a minute. And they're paper gold. So it was a startling headline. Uh, and then- So, so when you say, when you say uh, paper gold, you're talking about- certificates that reflect the value of gold, not gold itself. Yes. And we're going to get to that right now, because here's what sparked the, his article. Our comptroller of the currency here in the United States went in and basically did an audit of JP Morgan and Citi and said, hey, wait a minute, you guys, the way you're accounting for these paper gold contracts that you just outlined, mm-hmm. uh, they call them derivatives. Mm-hmm. You, you guys are being deceptive you're not accounting for all these things. And so this chart came out for the first quarter of 2022. It was half a trillion dollars worth of derivatives were needed to push the price of gold down. So let's get to the why of this. So Hambro. So so this is like a, this is similar to uh, like a stock split. Is that the way this would be divided up. Um, if they're diluting the shares Correct. every single time you have a stock yes. split, uh, that stock split splits, and then all of a sudden there's a lot more shares for half yes. the value. Yes, it's like creating gold out of thin air just with paper contracts. So Hambro comes out and he says, look, he describes the manipulation of the gold price using derivatives as a, quote, tinderbox, where disinformation wow. has for many years kept the lid on. Then he says, who you might ask is directing this. And here's the bombshell. It's the Bank for International Settlements in Switzerland, the boss of bosses, the central banks of central banks. And now here's his quote. Since 2018, 
the financial stability desks at the world's central banks. Hard stop right there, Eddie. All right, let's dissect that. What the heck is a financial stability desk? All right, I'm going to take you back now to the crash of 1987 under Ronald Reagan's watch. The stock market fell, what, 23% in one day, Black Monday. One day, back then. Black right. Monday. Yeah. I mean, imagine that today. And by the way, the Friday before it had fallen dramatically as well. All right, so in the aftermath of that, the Reagan administration put together something called the Working Group on Financial Markets. And it was comprised of the Vice President of the United States, the Secretary of the Treasury, money person, the head of the Federal Reserve, got it, and the head of the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. So the commodities piece of it. And they said, he said, look, you four guys get together and find a way to intervene in the markets in the event of panic so that we don't have computer trading driving the price down to zero with no intervention. There you go. Right. There you go. So this became known in our world as the plunge protection team that they were going to stop crashes. Eddie, early on, they met maybe once a year, twice a year, and there wasn't much to it, but they do have to make their minutes public, the Open Meetings Act stuff, this sort of thing. They meet routinely now and admit to intervening in the markets, and not just here in the United States, but this same type of stability desk exists in Europe and Japan and China and, and, and. So he starts with that. The financial stability desk at the world's central banks have followed the Bank for International Settlements instruction to hide mm. the perception of inflation by right. rigging the gold market. Mm. Whoa. Okay, so slow, let's, 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 let's slow that down for everybody out there. Right. The mechanism of which we described to slow it down, because if, if gold went from 2000 to 4000 right. it'd be a complete and total freakout. You'd be like, oh my gosh, I, I got to get out of the stock. There'll be a stock market crash. Correct. So this group that's out there that's regulating and stabilizing, how are they doing it? They're creating the perception of something that I think probably my kids even know. As uh, stocks go down, uh, where do you go? You go to solid gold uh, wherever you can possibly get it. Correct. Well, it's not so solid, and they still need to be attainable. The real price of gold, without it splitting, would probably be somewhere around, if you had to guess today, um, without them you know, employing this mechanism, would be what, $2,700, $2,800? Easily. I think it'd be much okay. higher, because okay. this has been going okay. on a lot. But no, Eddie, you don't even have the article in front of you, and you've dissected it. So kind of if we keep going. So, so well, well, let me finish here, just no, so we can ahead. clarify for our listeners. So. How, when, let me ask some questions. When did they start doing this? What month, what year uh, did they start? When did they commence this mechanism to dilute based upon issuing paper gold and getting the, uh, what did you call it, the BIS to right. uh, be involved in this? What, when did that start? Do you know? Is Accor there a pinpoint? Yeah, Can according you pinpoint? to Hambro, they got off to a rocky start in the 1960s using something called the London Gold Pool. That collapsed in the early 70s, and it was in the 80s that they really started the system that we see now. So, yeah, it goes back about 40 years. Is the quite. number of certificates tra uh, tra trackable? Uh, as it stands now, the answer is no. We do not know what it is, uh, but we're going to so there get you go. So, that's, so, so the quicksand is the fact that this can, can, can be issued, can continue to be issued, 
And as you mentioned, the uh, worst D word, second worst D word that there is in the English language is derivatives. Right. Uh, let's go back to 2008 and pick that apart for a second uh, when uh, we uh, blew uh, our brains out and the derivatives turned out to be $300 trillion of unfunded liabilities uh, around the world. Right. Um, those were all based upon derivatives, CMBS, which is commercial max. Uh, commercial uh, CBMS, CBMS or CMBS, right. the commercial uh, back mortgage, mortgage securities, securities right. that were there because people were issuing this dead weight out and they say, oh, it's worth this, but really it's not worth that. We could say the same for gold. Gold right. is worth this, but it's really not. And since right. it works on the reverse, the perception is, is you would never have any idea that the BIS is, is actually engineering something to create a different version. And it's a better way to maintain a level of confidence while continuing to steal the future from everybody else out there who's going to continue to get soaked up for all their money. So the earnings could be down for, I don't know, you know the top 100 uh, stock companies. Their balance sheets are crap. Netflix could go through the floor, but it's not going to be bad because, well, gold isn't reacting the way that it should, which would tell you to go ahead and exit the market or exit your stocks or your 401k portfolios. Am I about right on that? Yeah, or exit the dollar. I mean, that's the indictment is against the currencies as well. And by the way, a parenthesis here, you know, you mentioned 2008 and the housing crisis here. This is what's going on in China right now, Eddie. I mean, the, 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 the I know real I saw the real estate article on that. Right. The real estate market is, is it's not collapsing. I mean, it, it's doing worse than what 2008 was doing for us. And that impacts everything because all the money is internationally controlled. Right. They have to trade that somewhere else as well. Um, and no one is talking about that. Right. And they, their, their actual economy only grew last quarter at 0.4%. I mean, these are Asian tigers that grew on an annual basis of well above 7 to 8% for the last 30 years. Right. And so all this stuff is, you know, happening during the summer when normally this is supposed to happen. But the, let's go on to just add some more meat to this thing so your listeners understand what it means in the bigger picture. So in this article, it goes on, it says, but central banks need cover and cannot be seen to be rigging gold prices. So Hambro continues. So here's the quote, quote, the only way. That's what he's upset with. That's what he's upset with. Hambro is after, and he never comes out from underneath that rock, except when he's basically calling them out. So his money must also, or the world economy must also be. So let's go to the quote. All right. The only way to achieve the cover is by smashing the price of physical gold by the alchemical production of paper gold. It's a hilarious quote. Remember alchemy from high school, you know, the the Middle Ages, they thought they could turn lead into gold through alchemy. Well, what he's saying is, look, we've got an an alchemical production process, basically producing paper gold. And then he goes on, with the help of the futures markets, and the connivance of the alchemists, the bullion traders. And then he says this, yes, that includes me, Peter Hambro. I was deputy managing director of Makata and Goldsmith, big London bullion trader. We managed to create an unshakable perception that ounces of gold credited to an account with a bank or a bullion dealer were the same as the real thing. And much easier, old chap, you don't have to store or insure it. Think about that, Eddie. They're selling a contract telling the client, yes, sir, this is real gold. You can trust us. Well, there's nothing in the vaults. They're just putting the contract in a file drawer. 
And this, anyway, I don't know if this has gotten your attention so far, but it sure got Absolutely, mine. I think it has. Well, I think, um, you know, this in, in many ways is worse than a crypto crash. At least crypto, right. we knew it was BS. <laughs> in this particular, you know, Sorry. well, and the thing is, is when you, when you put the word standard next to gold, and I think we should get Dow's reaction on this uh, as well, because he has uh, all of one share in Virgin Galactic. And, um, you know, you know, I think that's important to point out. I think what we need to understand is like these guys are um, pulling the wool over the, the market by uh, re-engineering the basic value. A unit isn't a unit here. Right. So the there's no gold standard any longer. So the quicksand is the fact that we don't really know what the value of what anybody really has. And a gold right. certificate, if it's told to you by a banker and say, well, it's worth it, you have a certificate for an ounce of gold. And they say, well, yeah, you've got a certificate for an ounce of gold, but do you actually have an ounce of gold? Well, who's to say you could have 10, 100, 1,000 issuances of that particular certificate for that same particular ounce of gold? Um, in my opinion, that's sort of the ultimate derivative, and in which case, if 1,000 people can make a claim on that one ounce of gold for the certificate that they own, then the gold is worth nothing. Exactly. It, well, or the gold is worth a lot, but the contract is worth nothing. So, all right, right. let's keep going. All right, so here's the quote goes on. Once investors swallowed this stupefying pill, it was easy to sell them gold that simply didn't exist. Of course, there were some wary investors who found it hard to believe, and I'll paraphrase, companies like Makata, Monty, Rothschild, Sharps, Bixley. These were the big London bullion banks. And by let's pause here. Some banks deal only in gold, or parts of the bank deal only in gold. They're known as bullion banks. So we deal in dollars here, euros. We don't usually think in terms of trading gold on a daily basis, but these banks do. And by the way, another parenthesis, this is called the London Bullion Market Association or the LBMA. Think of them as the OPEC of gold. So OPEC is to oil what LBMA is to gold. They're the cartel. All right. So he says, look, you know, some people were caught, you know, how could these companies with these great reputations sell us something that didn't exist? And we said, we can handle this easy. We said, don't bother to pay for it. You can just give us a little bit of cash. We'll give you control of a large amount of gold, paper gold. And our promise is as good. So you don't even have to put up much money for it. Then he goes on and says, look, we even went the other way. We would sell you paper gold. You could sell us gold contracts back that you didn't have any gold backing. And we would do the same thing. So, and that's the pause music. So I guess we're going to commercial. Is that right? No? Uh, we are not going to okay, commercial. Sorry. Sorry. I just, I, I, just, yeah, I, I, want to, I want to keep on with this. I hit auto and I apologize uh, for that. Okay. So, okay. So you know, there's a couple of things that you said. So let's um, sort of break down what you're saying here. You use the word promise. And as we all know, the fiat currency that is issued just on a very basic level, and I don't even know who has cash in their 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 pockets any longer. That's a promissory note. It's not an actual standard of value. It's made to reflect of what the value should be. Correct. What you're what what you're saying, what you're saying is that's now fiat is now being issued directly against gold, right. not the thing that's backing gold, and the actual against gold. So in 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 a very direct way, that is worse than issuing the fiat currency, which is Negli becoming more negligible by the day. 
right. It was all an illusion. It's a giant Ponzi. And it, but he says, this was the simple derivative. And then he says, then along came a raft of options and other products in the derivatives market. And that is what this chimera is called. So remember the chimera, you know, half beast, half human. And he said, you know, this thing began to spiral out of control. And Eddie, why wouldn't it? I mean, if you could figure out how to create gold out of thin air with a paper contract. Right. They and, have. And, and they have. Right. Wouldn't you do it? And then he goes on. He says, quote, to make the bogus gold look even safer. The Bank of England, so this is their Federal Reserve, was quietly willing to lend to the London Gold Market members, our OPEC for gold, uh, in the event that things got a bit tricky and our vaults were empty. When one of the members went bust, and by the way, that was Johnson Matthey back in the 80s, they went bust, they sold too much air. The others clubbed together, and with the Bank of England holding the ropes, the customers were bailed out. So basically, their central bank said, all right, if this thing is out of control, we'll loan you some gold just to keep the game going. That's how high up this manipulation was, not just at, you know, Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan level, but at central bank level. And now Hambro is saying from the very top, this is all authorized. That's why you guys can do it with impunity. You're not going to jail. You're not going to get prosecuted. You might get fined once in a while, but that's the cost of doing business. But this is all sanctioned. So are you still with me here? I am, absolutely. We're, we're going to have to take a break. Okay. Uh, we'll bring this back. Here's what I think our listeners want to know, and, and maybe Dowd has some insight on this as well. I think our listeners want to understand the new mechanism, the way in which you view it what glasses you look through it at right. and how they should be analyzing it. For those who have been straddling and you're not giving investment advice, what questions should they be asking themselves? What should they be asking their portfolio managers? And then how should they be thinking about the next year, three years, five years, 10 years? Okay. And I think that they need some sort of frame of reference. I think that that would be very helpful for them because we're introducing new paradigms uh, to them which are meant to take advantage of them and their money that they have invested. Not to mention, um, you know, he who with the most uh, uh, with the most money actually wins. And it seems to me that you know they're usurping all of the collective's money and putting it in the hands of the very few. Yes. You know? And I think the clear the clear signals of this are when you know these guys uh, do one of three things: look at uh, merging and buying other companies. That's what people with money do when, when, when they start really aggregating more money and more wealth. The rich get richer. We saw the disparity actually grow. And that's not necessarily a bad thing for people to capitalize uh, on that. The other thing is they engage themselves in philanthropic efforts, philanthropic efforts. And they sort of uh, do this, you know, virtue signaling that they're giving back when at the very same time they stand to benefit every time that they give back. Bill Gates now uh, deciding to donate $20 billion to his Gates Foundation. Right. Um, I guarantee that'll come back in, in spades for him. And then the third, of course, I think, in w which, you know, could potentially be the worst uh, form of all, is, is, is actively manipulating the market and changing the paradigms the rules of the game altogether and uh, making people, as we've seen, uh, and as you have put to us, putting all of their value on, you know, social credit cards, credit cards, 
right. being different, and then the overnight swaps to the point where we can get all of our money seized at one point. And I think that's the most dangerous part is, you know, why do we need a good credit score anymore if these, um, you know, the Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan profits down 48%, I think, for right. J.P. Morgan, profits down for Goldman Sachs. I think they're 28, 29% or something. How can they continue to issue more and more credit to people? I mean, we are right. strapped in a number of different ways, and Goldman Sachs is going to answer to Bill Gates 10 times before it ever answers you know, to the likes of uh, every person out there that's just looking for an additional $1,000, $10,000 on their credit. So I think we need to look at those, and I think that's what our listeners would probably want to know a little bit more about is how to advance that. And I think you can do that in a very general way without actually giving away any sort of financial advice. Dowd, your thoughts? Uh, what else? Maybe what uh, might yeah, be in your mind? Yeah, I'm just, uh, you know, I've decided many years ago I'll never understand currency trading. I'm tr I'm trying to get to uh, up into the altitude a little bit on this. And, and one of the things that the mainstream media has been obsessed with lately, I don't know why they've been obsessed with this, because it seems obvious to any of us who've been paying attention, is the people's trust in the major institutions in society has cratered. Um, public health we, has been totally discredited because people like Fauci are downright evil ideologues. They're not actual scientists. Um, you know, the, the journalism itself, uh, the Russian hoax about Donald Trump. I mean, I might issue with Donald Trump, but it appears that almost all of those things that were said, total nonsense, while they're ignoring something in the Biden camp, which is uh, real, which appears to be real. Uh, government schools, uh, I would say government schools, others would say public schools. We found out through the Rona, uh, they don't love the kids, the teacher unions, do they? They just don't want to go to work. And, and if they, if there's a 1% increase in risk to their daily, uh, you know, uh, as they enter the building every day, they don't want to go to work. And they're union goons who uh, run their union and take their union dues. So they've been having a mental breakdown about why is it so, why is it so that, that people are losing faith in institutions? If what's happening here is actually happening here, I could read this quote, the global paper gold scheme has limitless supply. Since as Mr. Hambro puts it, governments and central banks and the BIS can print the margin. Hambro says that the great banks of Wall Street will accept fiat dollars as margin and manufacture gold to swamp the market. If that's what's happening, if that's what's right. happening, and anybody can say anything, anybody can claim anything, I'd like to see a little more proof of this, but it would not surprise me at all. We have seen the corruption of these institutions, which are supposed to be leaders. They're supposed to act in the public interest, and it's all falling apart. Um, I'm a libertarian. I want to I want to undercut the authority of of of, uh, of government totalitarianism. But when you get to the point where nobody believes in any institution anymore. Oh, boy, I think uh, I lived half my life. The next half of my life is going to be real, real interesting. There you go. All right. We'll be back after a quick break right here in the Kiva as Greg, former um, gubernatorial candidate and now full time back into the financial services a group. You got some nice compliments, Greg. I just want to tell you while I was uh, while you were doing your um, um, your, your discussion about this. Um, it says I let's see, Greg, your brilliant portfolio <laughs> management is much appreciated by this listener. I have gold. I have silver, agricultural products and uranium. Good. These are solid items that keep their value. The Zlatlian Poland is the weakest I have seen since 2005. I'm assuming that that's their currency. It was trading recently at 4.5 Zlatli to the dollar. Why aren't investors flocking more to the commodity-based ruble now? Audit the Fed, Ron Paul. So these are all from a <laughs> wonderful listener. So you know, it, it continues. I think, uh, yeah, a good listener and someone who's who invests with you. So we're going to get great answers when we return 
right here in Akiva on AM1600 KIVA, abq.fm, rockoftalk.com. That's rockoftalk.com. Back in stares at his own shoes at the event. You right? yeah, okay. Dowd, you right. I can assure you, you won't have to ask for it a second time. So uh, <laughs> one, of, one of our very good friends is going to be taking uh, Dowd. Well, what do you do when you okay, talk so to an Apollo the... astronaut? You, my, my thought is I just want to go up to him and say, I'm sorry that I'm alive at the same time you are. <laughs> I, I'm sorry that I am such a waste of space. Everyone else in this room is such a waste of space compared to the achievements you guys did. Right. Um, I, I just, I just, I'll apologize for being alive. <laughs> So I do have a uh, I do have an Omega uh, a professional ma- a Speedmaster watch, and Dowd, if I if it was if it was on if it was on your wrist instead of my wrist, and he possesses one, it is the only watch that's actually ever been on the moon. Oh wow! And it's uh, NASA test rated. Um, oh. It is uh, quite the little timepiece, and he's going to know something about it because. It is actually the timepiece that uh, saved Apollo 13 uh, and the uh-huh. great 14-second countdown that allowed them. There was no other way for them to get uh, wrapped around the moon uh, except for the, uh, as they call it, Speedy. Uh, that's what it's. Uh, that's the nickname of it. And it was recognized uh, by NASA. Now, it's kept all time for every Olympic Games since 1932 in Los Angeles. 
so every world record, and we'll go all the way through 28th in Los Angeles. And uh, every single time you see the Omega uh, sign, uh, is also um, the most accurate timepiece in the world. And one of the amazing things about it is it is a self-winding watch. Yeah, there's no battery. It is uh, absolutely oh, yeah, fascinating. So make yeah. sure that you ask. Oh, yeah, it's it's real old school, but it's uh, quite the little item. There's a book there in that studio there that's all about what's called the moon watch. And it's the hottest item with the Gen Z people. They're collecting all these swatch moon watches right now, which are the sun, Mercury, et cetera, et cetera. So very fascinating stuff, a good backstory. We'll get into that uh, post your uh, meeting with that, but we're here to satisfy our customers who are our listeners here on the station and talk to them more specifically about what do you do now? The paradigms have shifted. Right. What's up is down. We're sort of in the upside down, not to borrow too many things from, str- from stranger things, um, but uh, it doesn't look good. And, uh, Greg's going to let us know in a very general sense of what to do. Well, yeah, actually, I'm going to let Peter Hambro do it. Let, let's kind of wrap this up because then I don't have to give the advice and get in trouble with the regulators. So, it, it, Eddie, at the beginning of this, I would have shown you this chart that shows half a trillion dollars of derivatives are needed to smash the price of gold down right now. All right, so this is what Hambro's referring back to, and we'll wrap this up. He says, straws blowing in the wind that's the chart, are often said to presage great tempests, and I believe that this chart shows such such a straw. Quote, look at this chart, then go see your bullion trading counterparty, translation, go see a gold dealer, and buy some gold. Then he basically says, take physical delivery, and then back to the quote, to protect you from the ravages of inflation, for inflation will surely engulf the world when the paper gold's emperor's clothes are seen for what they really are. All right, hard stop. Eddie, why is he confessing right now? Hambro hardly ever writes. Now he's calling out the big boss and all the other bosses. All right, Hambro, you've been part and parcel of this thing. Why the big confession? Here's what I think. I think he sees two things coming. And do, do I get a guess? Do I get a guess on this too? I have, a, yeah, I have an idea. Yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. You get guess first. You, you go first. You go first. All right. Well, the very last sentence in his article is Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping are among those who know the golden rule. Whoever has the gold makes the rules. I think two things. One is he knows that Putin and Xi Jinping are getting ready to roll out some counter currency to challenge the dollar. And what leads me to believe that is the Chinese went to the Saudis, and you know we have the petrodollar system. China went to them in in April and said, "Look, we want you to trade oil in something besides dollars. You can do dollars, but we also want you to take yuan or yen or euros." Then we had the Saudis, the Egyptians, the Argentines, and the Turks, Turkey, all petitioned to join with Russia, India, and China in a trading and commerce pact. Oh, All right, okay. so the BRIC nations. The, the BRIC, BRIC nations. Nation. Right, and so add yeah. Brazil and South Africa to that list, but the big player in that is clearly the Saudis. That's when Biden raced over there last week, and he did not do well. Putin is in the Middle East this week. I think Hambro knows that something mm-hmm. is coming in the currency yes. markets. And here's the other piece. Hambro Bank 
was the bank that was the bridge between not only the old Soviet Union, but the Russians for Russian gold flow to London. So Russia is, I think, the third largest gold producer in the world. All right, you don't keep all your gold, you sell some. They had been selling gold to London in exchange for euros, dollars, yen, whatever. All right, do you remember what Biden did two weeks ago? We're not going to allow anybody to buy Russian gold in the West because he takes that money and funds the war against Ukraine. I bet Putin laughed his tail off at that. Fine. We'll sell it to China. We'll sell it to India. We'll sell it to Iran. There are lots of buyers for our gold. And Hambro's face must have gone white. Crud. There's no flow to London. What little gold we had to cover this illusion is now drying up. And so I think those two things prompted him to write this article to cover him, cover his butt when all this plays out. So that's my theory. How about yours? Okay, so here's what I think. I think what's going on here is this is an unofficial switch. I think this signifies not just, I think, the move away from the dollar, but the move away from all control of any sort of undercurrency, including gold and uh, giving control back to the central bankers because he's off playing the central bankers and he's trying to curse them for manipulating the market. But what I think he's doing is actually doing the dirty work for them. Wow. He's coming out ahead of them and trying to cooperate. And you never tell people what you're doing. You always make people think that you're doing the opposite of what you actually are doing. I mean, this is classic. So I think what he's doing is he's gaslighting the entire system in preparation for the uh, cram down, you know, as you know, you're the one who told us, Greg, and we learned from you, 80 years, every 80 years, we have switched up on the currency. And right. we are uh, uh, in the sunset of that 80 years right now. Uh, 2020, 1940, 1860, 1780, 1700. And the switching of the currencies and the switching of the epochs and the four generation bang, that's 16 generations going back. I think we're due, he knows it, and he knows where the shift is. But I think he's making people who are astute uh, being prepared because I think he has to, one, release his conscious of it. Uh, hopefully I'm not speaking too much out of turn. And ultimately, wow. he does have red blood popping uh, through his uh, veins. But I think more importantly, I think he's signaling the uh, shift uh, that is inevitably going to come down. One of the things I think that you mentioned here that we have failed to talk about and address, and that's on everyone's mind, is, is inflation. Right, and so the inflation uh, can continue to heat up. You know, we went from what was it, eight six to eight nine to eight six, now up to nine one. Right. You know, that inflation bear isn't about to slow down anytime soon. Nope. If you compare it uh, back to the eighty to eighty two range, it's going to take you know almost uh, thirty months for it to finally cool down. And if this thing all started in February of twenty twenty two, we're looking at. Uh, post-February 2024 for the presidential elections, uh, they're going to probably stymie this down mid-summer. Mark my words, Dow. Go ahead and uh, mark it down. Okay. Hopefully we'll both be around at that time. But I think you're going to start seeing inflation come down for the presidential election. And they're going to say, look, uh, the Democrats were able to, to, and that's right exactly in the timeline from 80 to 82, which is how long it took Volcker and Reagan to uh, bring down inflation. Well, I don't know. We'll see. I, I look at what Volcker's doing and think either you're really dumb or this is all by design because the inflation we're having now isn't driven by an overheated economy or rising wages with the unions. It's being driven by scarcity. There's not enough stuff. Mm -hmm. And what stuff is left, the price is going up. Uh, producer price index number came out of Germany today. 
they're at 32 percent inflation in europe that, that's you think that's not going to my it god will. right all right so yeah. what if he continues to hike rates he will surely slam us into a deep recession hopefully not worse that will lead to businesses shutting down more layoffs fewer products more scarcity he's doing it exactly wrong he's fighting the 1970s war uh, and it's not the 1970s situation and so, and I don't know, I, I agree there's something bigger going on here and it's a takedown of currencies for a new system to be introduced. I, I think that's what's coming. Oh, there you go. I think we both said the same thing, right. just maybe slightly different. Greg, uh, people want that personal advice for your personal opinion on what they should do. How could they reach you? And um, it, I know that a lot of people are going to be calling you, especially right right now. Can you um, yeah. tell me how much time do you generally give on the initial com, uh, consultation uh, just for expectation? Hour, hour and 15. You can't shut me up, Eddie. That's my problem. But yeah, it, it, it yeah, I'll take an hour, hour and a half. It doesn't charge anything. Just come in and we'll talk. But my phone number is 505-250-3754. And uh, just call or, you know, and, uh, that's probably the best way. 250-3754. I really think that um, you and a lot of other people uh, that are out there have uh, on our radio station have been helping a lot of people through some very difficult times. And for that, we uh, really appreciate and thank you, Greg. So thanks for all that you do for us, for the station. Uh, and, uh, and thanks for advertising on the radio station as well. Dowd, what do we got next for hour number three, sir? Uh, well, we got my piece uh, that was uh, aired, or aired at, uh, on our website, rockettalk.chat, earlier today about semiconductors. Do we need to subsidize Intel when it's reporting 10 to $20 billion in profit every year for the last seven years? Mm. Very, very good question. And also, Melanie Stansbury thinks that Republicans are trying to ban interracial marriage. Uh, that was yesterday's oh. press release. And I really, I, people think, oh, just that's, that's comedy. No, she actually put that in a press release. I think that we should not let that fade into the background. We should did, highlight that. Did, did you see well, Nancy Pelosi well, bought chip stocks just prior oh, yeah, to the announcement? Yeah, yeah. Right. She, it's unbelievable. All they know is insider trading. That's all they know is insider trading. Well, let's not forget Paul Pelosi. Eight million dollars, wow. and nobody says anything. It's maddening. Anyway, all right. I mean, thanks, my friend. People would be put in prison. People would be put in prison for, oh, for yeah? Yeah, 15, right. 20 years minimum. Yeah. If it was Martha anybody Stewart. else, but, uh, they put Gordon Gecko away. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. They certainly did. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll hit the top of the hour news. We'll bring it back to start uh, hour three. You and me and the Dow makes three, 3,000 right here in the Kiva on AM 1600 KIVA, ABQ.FM, Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Take care.
can abq.fm rockwithdog.com hour three you and me in the down makes three three thousand and that's what he'll be running uh through this hour including his wide up uh, earlier today lots of news to get to and a uh, commercial free hour three that is for you and me and uh we'll jump right back uh, into it lots of text coming in uh looks like uh greg zanetti could potentially be accompanying um you tomorrow Dowd muska to the um wonderful lunch that you'll be that and you just heard the top of the hour news it's got to be exciting Dowd, to hear that it's like i'm going to meet the last guy that i think that you could think one of the last guys that's been on the moon you're going to meet him tomorrow which is absolutely huge and then you hear yeah on this day 53 years ago bells aldrin and neil armstrong one giant you know one giant leap for mankind so I just think that's a, a pretty historic thing. As you embark upon yourself, uh, your own 50 years now, I don't know that anything could be better uh, there for you. So that's pretty I'd cool. rather I mean, honor some of make... those historical events more than the last one you mentioned. But uh, we actually are celebrating oh. today another anniversary. This is a true anniversary. It happened exactly one year ago today. Blue Origin, a real space tourism company, uh, had its first manned uh, liftoff over there, just over the, 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 the state line over in Van Horn, Texas. Uh, the privately built spaceport, privately built spaceport, and they have now put 25 people uh, up into past the Kármán line, meaning they actually went into space on a suborbital trajectory. At the same time, we're waiting for any kind of payoff, any kind of payoff at all from Virgin Galactic and Spaceport America. I suspect we'll be waiting a lot longer uh, than, than, the, than the last 15 years. It'll, it's just going to keep going. Add infinitum to infinity, subsidies to the spaceport to infinity and beyond. Richard Branson celebrating a birthday, his 72nd birthday a couple of days ago. And then uh, how did he become famous, you might ask? Well, there it is. Johnny Rotten and Sid Vicious, uh, a.k.a. the Sex Pistols. How did that all happen? Well, it happened because uh, he became a big-time promoter on the River Thames uh, of the Sex Pistols, where he was running them up and down, playing that body music, uh, Dowd, and on this day, uh, way back in, uh, I don't even know what it was. Let's see. We had Sid Vicious, right. uh, I believe. The Sid and Nancy biopic premiered. Gary Oldman, one of the greatest actors, not just of our time, I think of any time. Uh, he is certainly a presence on the screen. Uh, played Sid, and Chloe Webb played Nancy. I've actually never seen that, so I'm not sure if you have uh, watched that oh, yourself. It's been, long, it's been too long. Um, it's it's uh, a, a uh, one of those kind of downbeat, self-destructive movies. It, you don't want to really watch, even though it's good, you don't need to see it again. Maybe that's why I haven't, I haven't gotten back in, in many years. But I will give Branson this. He is a Euro trash huckster, but he did give us... Uh, he was instrumental in in helping the Sex Pistols reach a larger audience. John Lydon, of course, Johnny Rotten, who is a uh, Trump fan conservative, uh, he's made comments uh, that uh, punk rock today would be on the right because the left controls every institution globally uh, and in the major wealthy countries. Uh, and uh, Johnny Rotten taught me when I was in my teens, and I, this is one of my credos of life, as he was taking a drag on a cigarette, don't be nice, it's the kiss of death. And uh, I, I've, I've tried to honor Johnny Rotten for many years. <laughs> it's certainly good. Uh, high of 102 degrees today in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Pretty unbelievable. Also on this day, uh, Dowd, 1903, Ford Motor Company uh, shipped its first automobile. And in 44, Adolf Hitler survived an assassination attempt led by the German Army. Colonel Klaus von Stauffenberg. 
And then, uh, of course, as you heard, Apollo 11's crew successfully made the first named manned landing on the moon. Armstrong Aldrin, the first humans to walk on the moon. And a year ago today, it was Blue Origin. So your article, D. Dowd Muska, tell me uh, about what uh, all the subscribers got today at approximately 2 p.m. on rockoftalk.chat. Yeah, uh, folks, uh, of course, as Eddie said, the rock of talk.chat. That's our, it's kind of our mothership while we'll, we'll keep it in the, uh, in the space realm here. Everything you want to interact with us on, everything you need to, to find out from us uh, is available at rockoftalk.chat, including my original work, which is posted usually three times a week. I, I did decide, I think, maybe five times a year. I'll, I'll, I'll skip it for July 4th and then a couple of Thanksgiving, Christmas, that kind of stuff. Today's piece is called Chips Are Chuck. Uh, Chuck Schumer, Chuck U. Schumer, as some people uh, like to refer to him as uh, Charles Schumer. That would be our uh, national legislature, uh, the upper body, uh, the upper chamber. Some people call it the world's greatest deliberative body. Uh, if you got Martin Heinrich in your deliberative body, if you've got Ben Ray Lujan in your deliberative body, can you really be the world's most important deliberative and greatest deliberative? I, I, I don't think so. Plus, you've got you know guys like Bernie Sanders in there, but... On a, this is a truly, you know, right down the day and time because this is a truly rare occasion. I am calling out Bernie Sanders for doing something right. Um, yeah, maybe it happens every 30 to 40 years. Bernie voted against a measure, basically what Chucky wants to do, our, our Senate majority leader. Again, he's the Democrat, uh, the senior Democrat, I would say. There's nobody ahead of him. Who's the, oh, uh, Kristen Gillibrand. She, she was, uh, came after Chuck. So he is the senior senator from the, the great state, the once great state. Of New York, spent a lot of time there uh, in, in my life. Kind of sad because there's a lot of high impact, high, uh, highly intelligent uh, people in the media, people in finance, particularly in, in the city. But oh, that city and that state have a lot of problems. They've they've went blue. Um, so Chuck wants to pass a big subsidy package for semiconductors, the people who make chips. Uh, these are big companies, uh, and Intel is the the biggest of the big. I'm going to read to you. This is their net income. These are from their uh, their um, Annual reports filed with the SEC are uh, going to start in 2015 and take you all the way through 2021 in terms of net income, uh, $11.4 billion to the positive, $10.3 billion, $9.6 billion, $21.1 billion, $21.0 billion, $20.9 billion, and finally taking us up to 2021, $19.9 billion. Some fun facts about the American semiconductor industry. This is from the Trade Association, SIA, the Semiconductor Industry Association. U.S. chipmakers lead the world with close to half of the global market. Semiconductors are a top five U.S. export with more than $49 billion with a B dollars exports uh, in 2020 uh, and a consistent trade surplus with China in that one regard not overall, obviously. Nearly half of the manufacturing operations of the leading U.S. semiconductor firms are located in the United States, spread across across 18 states. Uh, it's not all uh, Arizona and, and New Mexico. Directly employing 250,000 highly skilled uh, Americans uh, and supporting, of course, with indirect jobs, uh, millions more. Moreover, the reality is that, and, and get this, protectionists, get this, world trade is complicated. You're, you can import and export. You can import and export. It's not a one-way street. The reality is that most of the chips imported from China were developed and manufactured at plants owned and operated by U.S. semiconductor companies in those, uh, in those various locations. Most importantly, we are a critical strategic U.S. asset 
America's leadership in semiconductor technology helps to drive U.S. economic competitiveness, technological leadership, industrial capability, and military strength. Now, I'm shifting over to the Wall Street Journal, the unapologetically free market Wall Street Journal uh, from an editorial just uh, within the last couple of, of days. This sort of attempting to scare America about the rise of, of, of China when it comes to you know, all matters, but, but in this case, particularly semi, semiconductors. Um, the people pushing the subsidy like to point out that the U.S. share of the world's chips has fallen to 12% from 37% in 1990. What these people, the union people and the corporate welfare queens and the protectionists don't mention is that America leads in chip design, has 52% of that market, and chip making equipment, 50% of that market. Seven of the world's 10 largest semiconductor companies are based in the U.S. Meanwhile, China trails American companies by years when it comes to chip technology. Chip fabrication uh, fabrication has moved to South Korea and Taiwan because many chips are commodities with low margins. Uh, a lot of other products have, have moved abroad for the same reasons. But chip makers are working to diversify their manufacturing bases to avoid future supply disruptions. They've announced $80 billion in new investments throughout uh, 2025. Uh, Samsung is planning a $17 billion factory in Texas. Uh, TSMC has a $12 billion plant under construction in Arizona. Okay, that's the good stuff. So where is all this craziness coming from? We have to hand $76 billion of your tax dollars to the semiconductor industry? Lots of vague claims. Uh, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, part of the swamp, uh, sad to say, uh, the chamber is totally uh, compromised. Uh, they have uh, pronounced that this will enhance our global competitiveness. Uh, the Intel CEO, uh, unsurprisingly, uh, it's not fair that uh, they have these wonderful incentives in Asia, and this only levels the playing field. And of course, the Brookings Institution, uh, talk about Swamp Dweller, um, you know, the original think tank going back decades and decades. Uh, they think that uh, subsidizing the semiconductor industry will uh, ensure continued availability and improvement of chips through reliable supply chains and innovation. If you're old, if you're an old fool like me, this kind of sounds a little familiar. It sounds a little bit like the 1980s when we were going to be kicked in the in the shorts by Japan, and Japan was going to steal our all our competitors, and all of tech and IT was going over to Japan. And, and back to the Wall Street Journal, history shows that easy government money can undermine competitiveness, not enhance it. It often leads to inefficient spending and investment. The politicians will also attach their own strings, perhaps with limits on stock buybacks. And dividends. What a you know what a what a what a shock that would have been. <laughs> I just can't imagine anything. Uh, 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 this reminds us of the 1980s when legendary Intel CEO Andrew Grove warned that Japan was going to dominate the chip industry uh, and the future of global technology. Meanwhile, other guys in the semiconductor industry, a fellow by the name of T.J. Rogers, I've, I've quoted him for years and years and years. He's a free market guy associated with uh, Cypress Semiconductor. Uh, he always cites this example of the Semitic chip consortium back in the day uh, that was sort of a private, you know, public-private partnership. They developed technology that, uh, in his words, was obsolescent uh, when the facility even opened. Uh, no one today is talking about Tokyo and industrial planning and industrial policy and how brilliant. Maybe Robert Reich is still talking about how brilliant industrial policy is in Japan. Uh, no one grounded in reality uh, is talking about that at all. Uh, the chip bill, this particular subsidy, isn't needed to compete with China, according to the journal, and it will set a precedent uh, that other industries will follow. Anybody who can throw up a China competition angle will ask for money. 
why Republicans want to sign up for this. And 15 did yesterday. 15 did uh, is a mystery, especially when they might control both houses of Congress uh, come November. So back to Bernie and back to a very unlikely, I call them uh, ideological uh, uh, odd, odd couple, ideological odd couple, Rand Paul, true philosophical libertarian, but also, of course, a, a Republican uh, nominated by the party representing the great state of Kentucky. Bernie and Rand Paul voted against the $76 billion subsidy to the semiconductor industry. And what I always say is, uh, my theorem is, uh, when people in political parties uh, agree, that's bad policy because that usually means a lot of cash has been spread around, a lot of votes are out there for the buying. When ideological opponents agree, that means it's a good policy. <laughs> so uh, you can't really think of Rand Paul as a partisan Republican. He's not. He, he uses the party as a vehicle to advance his limited government constitutionalist uh, perspective. And you certainly can't think of Bernie Sanders as a Democrat. He's an independent. Now he caucuses with the Democrats, but uh, he is a uh, you know, decline to state, whatever the, whatever they call it in Vermont. They are fierce ideologues. Rand is an unapologetic libertarian, limited government constitutionalist. Bernie's a communist, basically. And they can see the folly of this $76 billion, with a B, dollar giveaway being pushed by none other than uh, Chuck Schumer. Now, at the end of the piece, uh, I talk a little bit about some, got some interesting quotes from the National Taxpayers Union uh, and, some, and some other places as well. Cato's got some really good uh, arguments uh, against this. Uh, in fact, the, the, the semiconductor, the chip shortage we've been hearing about, there's some indications, some reports here and there that that is starting to really fade away as the regular supply chain normality uh, uh, reassume, reasserts itself after crazy global lockdown. So even the shortage claim that we need this because of the shortage uh, doesn't seem to be bearing a lot of fruit. And I think the National Taxpayers Union has some really good ideas that don't cost you, the taxpayer, anything that would end up helping the semiconductor industry, uh, particularly in regards to how they uh, do their expensing for research and development and manufacturing costs and that kind of thing. And I would argue as a free trader, uh, lift the tariffs. But here in New Mexico, Intel has a, uh, you might you might, you might have heard of Intel in New Mexico if you've, if you've lived here for a while. They came along in 1980 with big, uh, I doubt, you know, I doubt they made the kind of promises that the local politicians made. Uh, whenever a subsidy is made, an industrial revenue bond or Hollywood giveaway, Politicians always say this is the start of something big. This is the start of something big. If you really look, uh, 1980, that was, a, you know, that was several decades ago. New Mexico's big high-tech industry cluster relating to chips, relating to software, all that sort of stuff, never really happened. Uh, there's a whole bunch of different organizations that look at how tech, uh, what, what the tech, how dense, the density of your tech employment, your, your gross state product. New Mexico fair, tends to fare pretty Poorly. And in fact, the, the, the STEM employment we have here is mostly government people, you know, working at the labs and that sort of thing. So uh, they came here in 1980. Uh, they were lured with the industrial revenue bond. They've gotten other perks all, throughout the decades. Right now, after the employment at the, at the fab up there in Rio Rancho peaked in the mid 2000s, right now they are in the process of, of hiring again to work their way back to having 50% fewer employees than they had in the mid 2000s. Okay. 50% fewer than their peak in the mid 2000s. Was that a really smart subsidy looking back at this? You know, I think uh, we could ask. Uh, meanwhile, to put this in their terms, though, Dowd, I think what they would probably say is about 2,000 more employees than they once had uh, back 
in 2018, pre-pandemic. I think they were down to like a little over 1,100 employees. Right, they were, but you know, they continue to phase it out. As as uh, William the Refrigerator Perry says, "Son, you're working your way back up to zero. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's they're still down. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I agree. I, I agree with you. They sunsetted and they decided against New Mexico. Once we decided to, they were finally paying after their 30 years of incentive, um, which, you know, you know, ended 2020. So we gave and the moment that uh, they had to actually pay their property taxes in the state of New Mexico, they decided to go to greener pastures. And I think one of the things that uh, we have uh, yet to discuss, uh, which is Virgin Galactic, they also did the very same thing after we gave them $250 million actual money. Uh, to do what they were doing, they also decided to relocate what they're doing for the manufacturing facility out to Mesa, Arizona. So it seems like we're just, uh, you know, the Economic Development Corporation uh, for friends of the state of Arizona uh, at this point. And <laughs> corporations are friends. Of the, well, and I, and I wrap the piece know, up so. with, with just looking at our two senators. So basically, Chucky e. Schumer, uh, he needed to hold his Democratic caucus, and of course, there's only 48 Democrats. There's two independents who caucus with the Democrats, uh, Bernie and then that dope from Maine. I always forget his name. Um, King, is it? I think Angus King. So he needed to hold on to all of his 50 votes. And then he had to, of course, you know, you got the cloture vote and they want to actually pass the, they, this was a motion, a procedural thing. They're actually going to vote on the full bill later. So he had to sort of gauge what sentiment was out there. Chucky ends up with 64 votes because he gets 15 Republicans and then he has one defector on his side. And that would be Believe it or not, broken clock theory, Bernie Sanders. <laughs> Proud to say Rand Paul voted against it. Uh, uh, Mike Lee, our friend in Arizona, who is also a limited government. I, I don't know that I call him a uh, libertarian philosophically, but a very limited government conservative. Uh, he did not join in uh, on this uh, either. I think Josh Hawley made the right call on this. Marco Rubio, of all people. I mean, is there a bigger corporate welfare guy than Mark Rubio? Marco Rubio, and he voted against this. Uh, so interesting, interesting vote yesterday. Two people who did vote for it uh, doing the bidding of the Senate Majority Leader. Oh, that would be Martin Heinrich and Ben Ray Lujan. Uh, they are from, ostensibly from New Mexico. They have seen how subsidizing a semiconductor plant uh, hasn't quite lived up to expectations. And uh, they don't care. Uh, Chuck said we need this vote. And, of course, they delivered for their Majority Leader. Uh, more more embarrassing votes from our our, our, uh, our Senate uh, our two senators there. So, um, yes, I know a lot of, you know, MAGA conservatives, they want to subsidize the, uh, the semiconductor industry. But, uh, folks, if you really pick this apart, uh, this is a bad, bad idea. And when you have a libertarian and a, and a socialist agreeing on a bad public policy and rejecting this, uh, as I say, attention must be paid, to quote Willie Loman. Uh, we had, uh, you know, we had a, a left-right uh, consensus yesterday. Unfortunately, it looks like the bill will move forward. And we, we, you, if you pay federal taxes, and I imagine most people in this audience do, I know I do, uh, you are going to be subsidizing highly, highly profitable. Uh, as I said, in the last seven years, uh, you know, I ran through those billions, just Intel alone, never mind the other chip makers we're making. Uh, this is industrial policy. This is Robert Reich. This is Lester Thoreau from MIT in, in the 1980s. Uh, this is sort of Bill Clinton triangulation uh, kind of stuff. Newton Democratic Leadership Council from the old days. Eddie probably remembers that 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 organization, the DLC. Uh, this is not free market capitalism. This is not the American notion of limited government and uh, taking your chances in the marketplace and risking your money, risking others' money to provide uh, a good or a service that you peddle uh, in in the marketplace. And again, highly successful. Uh, uh, by many, many metrics, this is a very healthy industry, and they are 
trotting out the old Bill Murray, dogs and cats living together. China's going to take us over. So you've got to hand us $76 billion. I think it's all wet, folks. I think maybe if you read my piece, you might decide that it's all wet too. Rockoftalk.chat. Rockoftalk.chat. Thank you, Dowd. I would probably also like to you know, talk about when the government should be involved in any sort of uh, involvement in a corporation. And it's really only one time. You know, hands off my guns. I would also say there should also be laws that uh, basically you want to deregulate to the nth degree as far as you possibly can. Let the market take over. And the only thing that I would probably say is like antitrust stuff and and then dumping on an international level. That's really where a, co- a country can be helpful. It's preventing what comes into the ports of entry because someone can't satisfy what they produced. You know, when people get uh, too good at producing a particular good and then too much of it and try to take a, a company or a country over, as is the case of TV, if anybody's uh, went to go buy a TV in the last couple of years, uh, they're cheaper than, I don't know, going out to dinner, you, uh, <laughs> wow. dare I say it. I mean, it, it's pretty incredible. You can get a 35, 40-inch TV for 150 bucks, And, you know, other than that, uh, the government should never be involved in subsidizing um, doing anything to do economic development other than, you know, provide the support system, which would allow that business to go ahead and exist and thrive. But it doesn't need to give any kind of money or incentivization because then you have to do it across the board for everybody. And then that would be a baseline. That would be a cost to everybody, regardless of whether or not they used or could benefit from that product. So, you know, there's a number of different ways that government should not be involved in uh, directly writing checks uh, directly to these companies. So uh, just another thought there for a lot of people. So uh, there was a big vote out. Uh, Melly Stansbury came out with a press release. Uh, she has a very difficult time wrapping her around, mind around concepts. Um, but she's very good at propagandizing, uh, as we heard her on her news conference. She is um, also very good at the uh, art of sophistry, uh, the art of not saying much, uh, if anybody's familiar with that. And I did not compliment her by now. She uh, can say uh, very verbose and very long, lengthy uh, responses to things without actually saying a single thing. Um, the uh, Greeks uh, referred to it as the art of sophistry, and it continues yet again today. And it's what you oftentimes refer to as you know, polit- politicians doing political speak. But uh, on a sort of larger level, um, you know, the liberals claimed harm yet one- once again. How did they do so? Well, they uh, saw Clarence Thomas and, you know, uh, started talking about, well, if abortion is on, on the agenda, then I guess uh, so are civil unions. Uh, no, marriages, actually. And honestly, does anybody want to say, that the government should be involved in regulating being involved in marriage. I mean, if you're a true conservative, a true, even dare I say, libertarian, would you do you need your your union blessed and recognized by the state and the uh, you know government in which you live? So this hit the docket, and there was another a number of Republicans who crossed the aisle, went over to the left hand side, and you know we've got a, the the real I think point that we need to talk about. Um, I think more explicitly, is this cultural warfare that exists. That You know, Republicans, when you start being rhinos and you decide to crawl over to the other side because you're afraid based upon either some sort of uh, personal connection to it, uh, or maybe you yourself are, are homosexual or 
believe in transgenderism or some sort of thing like that, and you feel enabled to do it, you know, we've got to also cross the social lines, not just the socioeconomic lines or just things from, you know, to basic principle standpoint. This also has to be part of the conversation. Otherwise, they're going to continue to abuse us at the polls uh, as they have. And when these very uh, emotional, drawn-out, you know, conversations uh, of which there seems to be no conclusion other than you're a racist, you're a sexist, or, you know, you're some sort of terrible person for not believing it. But uh, Stansbury handed this out. You can, of course, have found some of it directly at rockoftalk.chat this morning. Representative Stansbury votes to defend same-sex interracial marriage. I don't know that anyone's attacking you. Uh, and following these Supreme Court rulings, and uh, Dowd wanted to talk a little bit about that today. Yeah, Eddie, I mean, you, you've, you've, uh, you've ironed it all out, basically. I, I think I, I just quickly agree with you. I, you said you mentioned what conservatives and libertarians should think about marriage. I, I don't see any role for the state in, in, in proclaiming what your relationship is with someone. I mean, I, I can see this notion of who has my power of attorney if I'm old and sick and, you know, wh- who do I leave my money to and who has the custody of a child. But those arrangements... Uh, many of those arrangements don't involve marriage. I don't know why the government is defining marriage. If you think of your marriage as some sacred bond in which you stand up in front of your religious congregation, go go do it. I, we're free speech and free First Amendment in this country, freedom to practice your religion uh, as you see fit. I, I've always used this example when talking to people fighting the cultural war on marriage. Libertarians are often we don't often don't participate in a lot of these fights because we think both sides are wrong. And I on the whole issue of marriage, you know the uh, the conservative saying, and Baby Cannon, my, my, my beloved Baby Cannon, I had dinner with her in Washington and a bunch of other people many years ago. She was on C-SPAN years ago, and she said, marriage is a shared public good. And that was sort of an example of uh, the sort of paleocons doing what the left always does, which is trying to sort of collectivize the notion of, of, of what should be essentially a, a private and an individual's choice or, or relationship between uh, two people. I've, I've always said, so the most important thing in my life was taking care of my nephew for 11 years. Uh, that kid is uh, better start producing some patent income soon because uh, by the time I'm retired, he's going to be taking care of me. Whether he knows it or not, he always thinks I'm kidding when I tell him that, but I'm not. Um, if, if, if Congress, if the two chambers of our federal government, if the UN General Assembly, the UN Security Council pass resolutions saying uh, D. Dowd Muska is a bad uncle, uh, he, he, he is not the uncle to, to his nephew. He never helped that kid for 11 years. He didn't spend, you know, approximately $38,000 on Legos during those 11 years. I wouldn't care because I know the truth. And I wouldn't care what some stupid politician or bureaucrat said about marriage. That's something that, that I would define. If I considered myself married to the lamppost, I'd be married to the lamppost. Why do you need to? And so one of the reasons I really disrespect the you know, same-sex political ideological lobby. It's this constant whining on their part of, you must recognize our love. No, I don't have to recognize anything. <laughs> How about this? I ignore you and you ignore me and we go on our lives. Um, so when I saw this with with Lonely Girl, and, you know, not exactly, we still don't really know much about her private life, so it's kind of weird that she's making such a big deal out of this. Uh, she sent a press release talking about how she voted for the Respect for Marriage Act, uh, if you're counting at home, scoring at home, it's HR 8404. Uh, um, and she uh, rages and, 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 and uh, blathers on, quote, Americans' fundamental rights are under attack by a renegade Supreme Court. Okay. Uh, all right. Objection, Your Honor. Um, I'm pretty sure everybody on the Supreme Court was nominated by the chief executive. 
and confirmed by the U.S. Senate. So I'm not really sure how the court is renegade. If it disagrees with you, lonely girl, I guess it's a renegade Supreme Court. Uh, if it does what you want them to do, and then they're, they're brilliant jurists, I guess, uh, including not only abortion, but marriage equality, contraception, and other rights. Uh, I'm, I'm not aware of any of those things she's talking about being, being under threat. Uh, we cannot allow an extreme Supreme Court majority to send us generations backwards. I am proud to co-sponsor and vote to pass the Bipartisan Respect for Marriage Act to protect the rights of same-sex and interracial couples to marry and enshrine marriage equality in federal statute. Wait, what? Can we, oh, transcriptionist, can you read that back? The rights of same-sex and interracial couples? There's legislation before the House, before the Senate, banning interracial marriage in America, overturning the uh, Loving decision back, was in the 50s or 60s. I am uh, unaware of that. And so this is, Stansbury really at her at her demagogic worst. It's not even probably her idea. This was just cooked up by some, you know, opinion leader, some some think tank on the Democratic side. Uh, they're trying to claim that Republicans are coming after you uh, if you're an interracial married couple. Um, she actually said that. This is a press conference. Uh, I mean, a press release. You paid for this, uh, and you pay her $174,000 a year salary, folks. That's how much a congressman makes? $174,000 uh, a year? I think it might be higher now. It was 174 the last time I checked. Yeah. Um, what? Yeah, 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 yeah. For what? Voting? <laughs> uh, bloviating, uh, appearing at press conferences, going on Stephen Colbert. Uh, that, that seems to be most of what these Oh, man. Do. I, I really yeah. do want that job. If I get paid <laughs> to do what I already do, to do, what I already do anyway. You know? Yeah. So, all right. Uh, Dowd, uh, let, let's talk about what's going on here. And this is, a, in in my opinion, just a, a classic case of gaslighting. Um, and what do you do? It's a it's a form of mental abuse that's being used by the um, Democrats here, as they often do, in their sick, mentally twisted ways. So um, immediately, what comes to mind is making people question uh, the reality. This reality doesn't exist. They're attempting to create a reality and identify a reality that no Republican is talking about. No one's talking about banning interracial marriages. So why don't we go over very quickly, how can you tell if somebody is gaslighting you? What is gaslighting abuse? Well, it's pretty simple, folks. Lying about or denying something and refusing to admit the lie even when you show them proof. Oftentimes, what do we do? We show them proof, we give them facts, we give them information, and yet they continue to lie to you anyway. Melanie Stansberry is an abuser. She's in an abusive relationship with her constituency. Insisting that an event or behavior you witnessed never happened, or insisting that an event actually did happen, or if an event did happen or didn't happen, just question whether or not you're remembering it right or wrong, and oftentimes saying that you remember it wrong. That's also gaslighting, questioning the reality. Melanie Sansbury is telling you that Republicans are banning interracial marriage or same-sex marriage. Just because we have an opinion doesn't mean that we're focused on that very next thing. Folks, as we've already mentioned, we're not interested in whether or not anyone's married or not married. We're just giving you our expression within our conservative culture that we don't recognize it for ourselves. It doesn't mean that because the government recognizes that, that we would still recognize it. So, you know, people are free to think and choose whatever, you know, they want. Here you go. This is the big one. What is Melanie Sandsbury and the Democrats doing? They're spreading rumors and gossip about Republicans. 
and telling other people that other people are being gossiped to about us or we're gossiping about them. We're not talking about them. If they weren't trying to convince us with their pride months or if they weren't trying to convince us uh, by saying that we need to accept love or have everything marketed, into, we wouldn't be talking about it at all. But the fact that they're trying to jam it down our throats, in, in my opinion, is classic gaslighting. Here we go. What do they often try to do? Distract. Democrats distract. They create a new set of circumstances. They create a new crisis. They create something else to focus on. You should be focused on this, but they're not interested in that. They will get you to focus on that. They change the subject and refuse to listen to their constituents, especially if they're Republican, when confronted about their lies and other gaslighting behavior. It's just classic misdirection, which is oftentimes what Democrats do. And finally, what do they oftentimes say to us? When, which is exactly what they do. You saw it yesterday. In fact, she overreacted so bad that she pretended to be arrested. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, I'm not sure if you saw her as she was, quote-unquote, arrested. She was anything but arrested. She was waving to the crowd, but she was walking away as if her hands were in handcuffs. That is telling you that you're overreacting. They're the ones who overreact. Hyperbolic is what the Democrats normally do to get a reaction. And that's exactly what this newsletter that comes out from Melanie Stansbury is doing. That's what AOC and her squad do. And this is what you get, folks, as they attempt to maintain control, manipulate, lie, cheat, and condescend their constituency and bully them into accepting a reality, which I'm sorry to say just does not exist. And I'm sorry to say it on their behalf, not ours. Doubt your thoughts on their uh, gaslighting abusive behavior. Well, I, I'm... One of the hazards of my profession is I have to look at objective reality when it comes to policy, but then I have to go into the political world where reality really very rarely intrudes. Uh, I'm going to give you two numbers, 96% and 93%. 96% is the approval rating of the concept of interracial marriage by non-white adult Americans uh, in the United States, 96%. Okay, but let's get to evil whitey, right? I mean, evil whitey. I mean, we've got all those crackers in the South and they're all joining the KKK. Right. They're racist. They're, they're all, all racist. racist. I mean, it's got to be like 30, 40 points less. Uh, no, whites are at 93% approval of interracial marriage. There is not one, and here's where the politics comes in. If you want to run for office, <laughs> okay, there is not one political operative who will ever work for you if you come out against interracial marriage when 96% of non-whites and 93% of whites favor it in our country. And, and frankly, you know, those numbers weren't always as high as that. You know, you go back to the 50s and 60s, those numbers are way, way lower. Um, as recently, oh my goodness, as recently as early 80s, only 38% of white Americans approved of interracial marriage. That was not that long ago. Okay, so no one will work for you. No one will vote for you. You have no future in politics. So just looking at it from the practical side, not the moral side, no one here. Okay, write down the day and time again. E.E. Pro, you got this. I'm defending the Republican Party. It, ha it does happen every so often. No Republican anywhere in America is running on banning interracial marriage. No Republican anywhere in America wants to ban racial marriage. Even if you caught them on a hot mic, they would not support this. Uh, it is nonsense. And we, I, often we do, we've, we've come to use the, overuse the term gaslighting. Eddie has it exactly apt and appropriate on this case. This is pure gaslighting. She's attacking something that does not exist it's it's uh what it, yeah dad what do they say it's toxic it's abusive <laughs> they use all their new nomenclature to try and characterize things that we just i hate to say it for their reality just 
aren't doing. More stuff uh, directly. Was there another subject you wanted to broach before I uh, move on, Dowd? Was there something that I'm missing here? I feel like uh, there, not, there is. Nothing, uh, nothing in particular. It's just I, I'm just fascinated by this murder for hire plot, and maybe we can get into that later in the week with, with Murder Mike or next week because it's uh, it's uh, it's a doozy here in Albuquerque, and there was a a some people say there's a woman to blame, and apparently a a woman was involved in this. So, uh, uh, but we can get to that later. Oh. So, um, you know, I we haven't gotten to the Jessica Kelly, the um, horrible death seven years ago of, and we're coming up on the anniversary here this next month. And the more I read about it, the thicker it gets. And, it, you know, we're going to have to spend an entire day breaking apart this. And I, I feel like we should probably wait until the conclusion of this with the reaction of the verdict because everyone's keeping tabs, everyone's paying attention. But sexual abuse continues to be a huge thing here in the state. And the fact that young Victoria Martins had a sexually transmitted disease um, at the age of 10, at the age of 10, just, I, I can't even wrap my brain around that. Um, not even for a moment. And, and, Eddie, you didn't. You mentioned it the other day. I haven't been reading the coverage because I can't handle it. And when you said it, I just my mind wouldn't let me believe it. But then, of course, I read it online. It's true. <sighs> yeah, it's just something that I just can't 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 get. Like I said, get my mind around. And so we are going to address it. I've been wanting to talk about Victoria Martin's the timeline, and you know the fact that Fabian Gonzalez with the dismembered uh, Victoria. Uh, in the other room, in the bathtub, uh, having been raped, murdered, um, mutilated, and discarded. Uh, and Fabian Gonzalez is in the other room, according to text messages, literally flirting with other women on social media uh, at times. So all this stuff is, is starting to come. I mean, you know, if there's every, any reason... Um, to dislike, you know, New Mexico culture. This is it. I think this is all too common. Uh, we have heard of young people being abused, and the police are not there. They cannot be everywhere. And uh, the children and youth and uh, CYFD, the Children's Youth and Families Department, um, is anything but uh, reactive. In fact, in my opinion, based upon the reports that we have received, Dowd, they have contributed to this problem by enabling. And quite oftentimes handing back the very children yep. that should have been relocated or possibly kept from going back with their sexually abusive, drug addicted and uh, wayward bound uh, parentals. Uh, I don't know if there's a, I mean, I, I know of so many examples of, of women who've been separated from their children or men separated from men, their, their children, even after they have demonstrated uh, such an, an extreme level of capable capability of taking care for them, providing for them. And yet you find people who are dependent upon the state, don't have an education, have been drug addicted and sexual abusers, and they continue to maintain control of their kids. And I don't know why that exists so often in the culture of New Mexico, but that in and of itself also has to stop. So um, we will cover it folks. I will address it. I just don't know that, at this particular time, uh, I don't think that we'll be doing it. I think the uh, trial will continue, I believe, at least for the next week, and uh, we'll, of course, you know, come to some level of conclusion. My, if I can prognosticate uh, such a thing, in which case I'm pretty good at this, um, 
because the actual uh, DNA uh, that was found is inconclusive and likely belongs to a member of the uh, cartels uh, in exacting revenge against uh, Victoria's mother, as well as Fabian Gonzalez, and lack of payment for the drugs that they were getting and maybe for what they were doing. Um, they will never find the actual murderer. I told you this years ago, and I'm telling it to you now. There will not be a satisfactory conclusion, just like there isn't a conclusion uh, for the West Mason murders and a number of other unsolved, quote-unquote, mysteries in the city of Albuquerque. And I, it, it just it, it pains me to say this to the people of Albuquerque, that uh, you are not going to get the justice that you're looking for, despite all the media coverage. Again, this is wallowing in the emotional mire, saying that we could have done better in a way to go ahead and you know, start a foundation, start something on behalf of the community that's going to end up inevitably culminate into nothing doubt. Uh, that's my prediction. And I don't, and not much uh, what from what I've read or what I've heard at this point is going to change my mind on that. Yeah, it, it's, um, it's a broken culture and, and, and it's, it's, I, I, I just, this is not directly related, but I was watching Tucker last night and I still have cut the cord. I've just, there's a way to watch Tucker on the dark web folks. And uh, those of us who are you know, media professionals can get away with that kind of stuff. And there was a woman, um, I believe the widow of the man who was killed in one of the BLM riots. He was shot. He was trying to defend his friends. Uh, I think, I don't know if it was a, um, a pawn shop, uh, David Dorn, I think his name was the victim. Uh, he was a retired, mm -hmm. retired law enforcement officer. And his wife, who, while we're on the subject of racial marriage, I, appeared to be white to me, and and uh, more more evidence that uh, we're actually quite fine with racial mar interracial marriage in, in the United States. Uh, was talking about this organization, and I've been uh, trying to get some, get to the bottom of them. It's called Concerned Communities for America, and it's 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 it it's it, the point of it. And I guess I can read from the website. There's not a lot of content. Uh, on their website, uh, Current Concerned Communities for America is a collection of community leaders and organizations that have united under the shared mission of restoring the foundations of faith, family, and economic prosperity to communities of color. Our mission is to empower minority communities to pursue political liberation, social conservatism, and economic prosperity by shifting the narrative on political and social issues via the promotion of ec economic empowerment, education, and social equality equity of opportunity and it was really interesting she was making the point to telling people to go to this website because our whole mission concerned communities for america is to change the narrative the blm narrative that uh, america is inherently racist and the only problems in communities of color because of racist cops and white supremacy and i just I, I, on and etc 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 i mean how many different ways do we have to debunk the total dysfunction of, of, of that kind of claim and I was I was really excited, and I, there's not a lot of material online. I kind of wish they fleshed out their their point a little. But she mentioned specifically. I mean, we are the antidote uh, to the BLM, uh, and they are. And this is this is really courageous on on the website. Uh, they are going to tell the BLM's corporate funders that promoting destruction and, de and death in the name of woke politics is bad for their brands and horribly wrong for America. Kudos to this apparently very new organization, Concerned Communities for America. But where? is the New Mexico equivalent of concerned communities for New Mexico, people willing to face facts, frank truths, and challenge people in power who will never discuss this because it doesn't win you votes and it makes people uncomfortable and somebody might issue an, a negative tweet against you to talk about the underclass of New Mexico, which is far too large and far too pervasive and incredibly destructive and 
you know, the fact of the matter is you can say, oh, rich whitey, you know, uh, rich whitey just doesn't want to be hurt. The people in the underclass in America, they victimize each other. Okay. Nobody in Corrales is being victimized by these people. Okay. <laughs> they all have dogs and horses and alarms uh, and, you know, well-lit yards. Okay. There's no crime in Corrales. Okay. People in the underclass in New Mexico and throughout America, regardless of race or creed or color, primarily they victimize each other. Look at all those communities that were burned down with the BLM riots, the, the peaceful protests. I mean, they weren't going out to Bel Air, uh, California, or Fairfield County, Connecticut. That, that, that's not where that kind of stuff was happening. So, uh, we're going to see more horrific child stories in New Mexico until people rise up uh, and, and make the people who are in positions of power, people who control the purse strings, people who are in the pulpit, uh, confront the reality of this. And we live, Eddie, in a deeply cowardly time, a cowardly time. And uh, kudos to this website. You can check it out, folks, uh, concerncommunities.org. Uh, again, they are taking on BLM's corporate funders to inform them that promoting destruction and death in the name of woke politics is bad for their brands and horribly wrong for America. Can we get a version of that here in New Mexico to take on the broken culture in New Mexico? Uh, hopefully. Well, last night, child advocacy group question statement from governor's campaign about CYFD. Uh, you know, they've tried to put this on Susana Martinez for so long. Um, but uh, this was uh, something that came at KOA TV last night. Uh, one woman's love for children is something that she's devoted her life to. And as the executive director for New Mexico Child First Network, she founded the organization in 2018. And she stated, when I heard your report, I felt extremely frustrated. Beck said, in reference to a statement the governor's campaign sent KOAT in a report that aired on June 8th, Governor Lujan Grisham created the Office of Children's Rights to advocate on behalf of children and youth in care. Reports around what each candidate for governor will do to reform CYFD. It's devastating because so much of it is patently incorrect, she said. In the original statement coming from the governor's campaign, Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham had said, the Lujan Grisham administration strengthened the Substitute Care Advisory Council, which is SB 242 in 2021, passing unanimously in the House and Senate that it would have strengthened the Substitute Care Advisory. It was introduced during that legislative session. According to the New Mexico State Legislature website, it did pass unanimously. It would have provided submission, review, resolution of grievances against CYFD pertaining to, quote-unquote, substitute care. And we know that uh, so many of these abused children oftentimes are involved in substitute care. Unfortunately, the governor vetoed it, according to uh, Ms. Beck. On April 9, 2021, the governor signed a letter vetoing the bill says was made to help the Substitute Care Advisory Council. In the letter, the governor says she vetoed it because New Mexico's Native American community's leadership was not consulted regarding SB 242, the very people that she put under complete and total lockdown, even without asking them. So Target 7 went into all of this, and guess what they found? More lies from the governor. They found the website for the Advisory Council has a message at the bottom of their website claiming the governor did not support them when she vetoed. We asked the governor's campaign why she vetoed the bill, and they referred us back to the letter. They did not even give a statement on this. Michelle Longress refused to take any sort of responsibility, including uh, state any public statement on it. They also said a statement uh, from their spokesperson saying the governor signed legislation to establish an independent office to provide legal representation and advocacy directly for families every step of the way. Michelle Lujan Grisham prioritized putting children, parents, and families first and continuously by building consensus and delivering results for New Mexico. More sophistry from
from the governor, uh, from the governor and from her cohorts, Melanie Stansbury, et cetera, et cetera. Beck says she will continue to work advocating for New Mexico's children, but she says the only way to fix the problems is to talk about them. It's a health crisis that needs attention. Uh, now, HB 46 was signed into the 2022 session. It aims to create an office of family representation and advocacy. The office will operate independently as a junk agency in the executive branch of government as an appointed commissioner will oversee it. And the Office of Representation Advocacy will be appointed by the governor and Supreme Court, as well as legislative leaders. So once again, Michelle Lujan Grisham vetoes something, then attempts to cover it up by saying nothing, but it sounds positive. Mm. And New Mexico's children have never been more endangered. And Target 7 exposes the governor now, I believe, for a third time during this uh, campaign season uh, for essentially lying to the people of the state of New Mexico. Surprise, surprise. Ooh, I, you know, we're quick to bash the media here, Eddie, but every so often they get one right. And I guess this guy's name is John Cardinale. Uh, he's originally from I guess, Cardinale. Cardinale, yeah, yeah. Uh, originally from Napa, California. Good job, John. Keep it up. And finally, this coming up from my friend Alex Berenson. And, you know, we've been talking to a lot of people, and this is sort of switching gears here and back to COVID because. Yes, the unions want the students to go back under masking and vaccine mandates. Uh, in fact, I believe they're already doing it in several school districts and in blue states throughout the country. Uh, if you're riding planes these days, you'll notice that there's a uh, host of a number of people, about a third, that are wearing masks. I sat next to one this morning down, uh, and I asked him, uh, again, point blank, I said, I, I said, are you... He, he got, he sat next to me, you know, I'm an A-lister and he sat next to me on the plane. I said, are you okay with me not wearing a mask? And he said, yes, I'm fine with it. I said, and I literally quipped back, you should be because the mask is protect is to protect you, not me. <laughs> so I can't help myself. So immediately, um, it took him about 20 minutes to sort of massage that into his head uh, of his COVID brain. And then he started talking to me, and then I said, I asked him, how many times have you taken the vaccination, um, you know, what you guys call vaccination, it's not, it's mRNA therapy, uh, and have you taken the booster shots? And he said, yes, I've taken all the vaccinations and the booster. I said, well, you must live in a pretty high, dense, uh, densely area populated place. And he says, nope, I'm from Dixon, New Mexico. <laughs> Probably the safest place you could be in America. You know, one of them, uh, certainly that. So, Berenson put this out today. The German government admits hundreds of thousands of people have had severe side effects following mRNA shots. Now, yesterday, the government uh, also acknowledged uh, willingly that you have a greater chance of infection and a greater chance of death, and we saw this in Australia, I mean, now, and they can't even explain what's happening uh, there. Uh, the morning after the Federal Ministry of Health posted a stunning tweet admitting one out of every 5,000 COVID jobs cause serious side effects, it's a sharp underestimate. It said, uh, <clears throat> here we go, the German government admits hundreds of thousands of people have had severe side effects following the mRNA shot. And uh, he goes into great depth uh, to talk about it. Check out Alex Berenson. He also talks about the Australian um, results as well, which is quite scary. Uh, Dowd, you no doubt have probably uh, read a little bit about uh, Berenson on the Australian stuff. Yeah. And we're also finding out that vaccinated English adults from uh, across the pond 
uh, under 60 are dying at twice the rate of unvaccinated people of the very same age. Yes, there you go, folks. Um, that's what's happening. Um, so I don't know what else to make of it. I don't know how much more we can tell uh, people about this pandemic uh, of the unvaccinated that they attempted to create out there. But I think it looks pretty good from, from our position uh, at this point. And uh, the final point that I'll make before we uh, hit our top five is this point about Australia. Um, this from Odysseus Patrick. Uh, Australia has almost eliminated the coronavirus by putting faith in science. Here is yesterday's headline. How Australia saved thousands of lives while killed COVID killed a million Americans. More, more stuff all coming through. And then at the very bottom, what does it say? Australians are dying now at the fastest rate in the world. It should have been the public health and COVID vaccine success story that it claimed to be, but it was anything but. So there you go. Very quickly down your, actually, we're going to probably hit the top five. Uh, actually, we're going to probably have to hit the, I, I missed it by a minute, Doug. Don't forget to subscribe directly to rockoftalk.chat. That's rockoftalk.chat, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, make sure that you subscribe. You'll see all of these uh, great write-ups and everything that Dowd includes. Uh, he works very hard on it, and I appreciate uh, everybody tuning in uh, as always. And thanks for working uh, uh, through the opening uh, today. I was having some audio problems, so we appreciate that. So we'll see you bright and early tomorrow, 4 p.m. in the Kiva. Thanks for listening. Another countdown, 10 